Hello, and welcome to episode 147 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I am your host, Derek Heemsbergen. I am at Embryonics on Twitter. That's at E-M-B-R-Y-O-N-X. And I am joined by yet another motley crew of RPG fans from around the globe. First of all, I've got Alana Higgs. Hello, uh, at Alana Higgs on Twitter. Nice to be here. Yeah, nice to have you. And I didn't give anybody nicknames today, so sorry, y'all. Gonna have to suck it up. Uh, we've also got Caitlin Argeros. Hey guys, Leon Kazarel on everything, pretty much, I think. Yes. And also uh, an excellent person for recommending burger joints in St. Louis because we got to have dinner together for the first time recently. That was cool. Yeah, I know a few things, just a yeah. few. She sure do. And we're also joined by Mike Salusi. Hey, at the real monsoon on Twitter and some variation of the word monsoon in most places. And that's him. And finally, the ever delectable Robert Fenner. My. Do what do I owe the honor? It's me, folks, Miss Anthrobob on Twitter. Thanks for uh, having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. And he's also got an excellent podcast that he's running, Misspent Youth, which uh, we can plug later on. Oh, I just, come on. I want to support what everybody's doing in their lives. So, Plus, I think the panelists on this podcast are maybe all on future episodes of that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll be that. Yeah, we're branching out. We're uh, multifaceted folks over here. It's not all RPGs, just like mostly RPGs. So. <laughs> well, as usual, we have a giganto episode full of stuff to talk about. Um, it's It seems like we've all been playing something here or there, and I wanted to start the show by just kind of touching on E3 one more time. Our last episode was the big E3 blowout episode, which had an even larger assortment of people speaking, um, because it's very infrequent, usually just once a year, they were able to get the entire RPG fan crew, or not the entire crew, but like a lot of us in one room, so... Um, it's always fun to to hear everybody's perspectives um, sort of on the fly like that. And hopefully the compromised audio quality is worth the uh, nature of the discussion. So, But I wanted to talk to the folks here because not everybody um, in this episode today was at E3. We were missing Fenner and Caitlin. So I especially wanted to get their thoughts on a couple of things. So E3 2018, it's come, it's gone. Is there anything that stood out to you as like super amazing or surprising? I'll start with you, Caitlin. Uh, well, Microsoft having by far the best conference um, is something I wouldn't have expected uh, yeah. at all. <laughs> right? Yeah, it was amazing. They actually just focused on games and didn't waste a lot of time talking about their, you know, uh, failed social media or their failed hardware or their failed awful UI, which is still kind of bad. But um just games, 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 a lot of uh, uh, multi-platform games too. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, good for Microsoft. I'm wondering if Sony was kind of like, damn, they got all the good ones. What can we do? Yeah. And that's why they had a smaller one, you think? Yeah. Or, I mean, I mean, it was an interesting experiment on their part to have it be focused on just a few big name titles um, and not necessarily have it be a bombardment of everything that's under the sun. Um, it sounds like it was a, maybe a better experience for those who got to see it in person as opposed yeah. to everyone at home who had to wait for like half an hour while the venue changed. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> I did think though that the the initial venue, that was a really cool moment uh, because we all saw the trailer uh, for Last of Us 2 and then um, saw that the arena, the, the, the venue was basically just that, that big barn yeah. uh, made up to be like a dance floor. That was really cool. Um, yeah. But I mean, like, yeah, Microsoft just had yeah. a, an amazing show. And I think um, 
all of us were super stoked to see uh, Cyberpunk there at the end. That's that's kind of considering that it was just a gameplay trailer. It wasn't actually like a walkthrough demo. We we still have not gotten to see the behind closed doors demo. I'm still kind of like that's my number one most excited game uh, mm. for for from from E3. So most intriguing, from, yeah. From like a two minute trailer at the end of a presser. Good job, CD Projekt Red. Good job. And also, isn't the Microsoft conference where they first dropped the Devil Trigger? Uh, yeah. Devil May Cry Five. Yeah. See, yeah. that's greatest thing of E3. Devil Trigger. Come on. Oh my Devil Trigger. Yeah, that's it. I, I still actually haven't bought it on iTunes because I'm a fake fan, but I need to. I was um, up buying Eurovision singles last night on iTunes, so I guess my, <laughs> my <laughs> trigger finger is uh, only susceptible to certain types of music. Yeah, I need to buy that damn thing. Yeah, okay, cool. So I think Cyberpunk also sounds like it's very interesting, and I wish we could have all seen what Trent got to see behind closed doors, because I know he was over the moon about that. And, and it was a, uh, for every venue, it was one person only that they were supposed to send. So it was it was yeah. a very limited demo, and yes. uh, um, Trent was crazy about it, and just reading the um, materials he brought back for us, because he brought back a brochure and some other things, it, it and from his description and from those materials, it looked amazing. Mm-hmm. He was quite enthusiastic about it. So, cool. How about you, Fenner? Was there anything that you were crazy about at E3? Or oh, you know, I don't know if there was a whole lot for me this year. Um, I like I'm I'm you know I'm happy with everything that was shown and that you know I wouldn't take it away from anybody. There wasn't a whole lot that jumped out at me. I mean, much like Caitlin, um, I am very much looking forward to Cyberpunk. Um, the uh from an aesthetic standpoint it's really it's really walking the walk um i couldn't stand the narration um which i assume is the protagonist um who i know is uh is going to give they're going to give the option of um uh customizing your character uh male or female and uh, i've lost my train of thought i think my cat might be out on the ledge um <laughs> worst no Enough about Cyberpunk. Um, I was thrilled to see that uh, Fist of the North Star has gotten a localization announcement, and our right. own Mike Solosi has written that up. It, um, uh, I'll, I'll talk about that in just a minute. <laughs> I'm sure you will. And um, the other big thing uh, that really surprised me was um, Dying Light 2. Um, I really, really liked that first game. Oh, um, yes. And Very seeing good. that Chris Avalone is involved, um, and he's... Uh, He's a pretty incredible writer in the game space. So um, I trust that they will come up with something very interesting. What else has Chris Avalone done? This is a um, uh, Planescape Torment. Fallout New Vegas. Yeah, yeah it's pretty heavily, uh, Dying Light 2 in particular is pretty heavily geared towards choice. And what me and Trent yeah. saw looked very, like the consequences are quite significant between choosing yes or choosing no. So it was yeah, I'm. I never played. Might one. actually have to cover it. It looks it's, like it's got a lot of RPG elements thrown into. Frankly, we probably should have covered that first game. Yeah, we should have. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I mean, Trent's written a preview, so go and check that out. I recommend it. He's been very thorough. So, uh, yeah, he loved it. He's a big fan of the first game. And, yeah, I mean, really something cool. sort of by name alone, I wouldn't have even considered to be within my purview. But hearing you talk so enthusiastically about it, you and Trent, after getting experience with it, makes me like, huh, I wonder. And also with somebody, I mean, all you had to say was Planescape Torment. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Great so, writing. Yeah. yeah. Trent was a big fan of Dying Light 1, but he came out of that Dying Light 2 demo. It's like, it's a, it, 
it's what I liked about the first one, but with better storytelling and more choice. And he was real mm. excited by it. Cool. One setting was amazing, but the story had a lot of, uh, it was very lacking. Yes. Um, so yeah. seeing this very unique take on a, it sounds like things don't get better at the end of that first game from what I've seen of, of that, of what they've shown off of the uh, sequel. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. Sometimes uh, unhappy endings make for compelling stories, you know. I think we probably went on enough about E3 in the previous episode. I just wanted to at least get the perspective of a couple of folks who weren't able to be there at the show proper. And I think pretty much everybody who was there universally agreed. I mean, maybe it wasn't everybody's favorite of the entire group, but um, Dragon Quest XI, we pretty much all are looking forward to that more than uh, most anything other than Cyberpunk, seeing as our two show-wide awards were for Dragon Quest XI and Cyberpunk. So um, can't wait to get my hands on that. I'm sure... Most of us feel that way, and we'll definitely have continued coverage of it because, you know, Dragon Quest is amazing, and we have a lot of big fans here. So, um, I have also seen, funny enough, like they're really promoting Dragon Quest Eleven. They've been bringing it to, uh, they brought it to like Paris Games Expo, or I, I think that's what it's called, mm-hmm. and uh, it was at Anime Expo this this weekend, which is still going on as of right now. A lot of great but, announcements coming out of that too. Yeah, some surprising ones too, like mm-hmm. Deathmark. Yes, Vita, uh, or is it coming to Vita, or is that one only coming to Switch, uh, PC? Vita, PS4, and Switch, all three. Yeah, and what else do have they now? Zonkey Zero coming out early next year, which is very exciting. The Danganronpa uh, writers or teams, right? Is it the team, or is it just uh, team. the writers not involved? I don't think. I think it's just the rest of the team. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, but that's the the upcoming like survival RPG with the people who. Um, age and die every like seven days, right? Fourteen days. Yeah, rapidly, we'll say. Yeah, and then <laughs> I, also, I, um, I think also Uchikoshi's new game. Yes, that's what I was going to bring. Yeah, that looks dope. AI yeah. or mm-hmm. yeah, AI the Somnium Files, which is a uh, a murder mystery of sorts, um, written by Kotaro Uchikoshi, who worked on the uh, Zero Escape trilogy. Yeah. And the graphical style actually looks, and from what very little they showed, it's like the same art style as Zero Escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, very similar. It's exciting. Yeah, what else? Is there anything else? Did Kino Nishimura back? Uh, I'm not 100% sure. Mm, I wonder. I have to look up more info on that. But I know that uh, they also announced Death End Request. Aren't we excited for that? Oh, is that the new Compile Heart? Yes. I'm yeah. sorry. Nathan's not here, so I feel kind <laughs> yeah. of hot picking on it like this, but. Well, uh, although um, I will say, because that's the one where like all of the characters get they. I don't even really know the premise of the game, but each character uh, has like a glitched outfit, and the it basically just like takes all their clothes away and barely covers it up. So, not to get into that whole discussion, but Steph, of course it does, right? But Steph uh, drew on her uh, art Tumblr, or her art account. She created like one of those glitch costumes for one of the male characters in the game, because she was like, you know, it's not really fair. <laughs> so it's just like a dude with a tiny little, yeah, piece of pixel covering, like, his junk or whatever is fine. <laughs> yeah. um, 428 Shibuya Scramble has got a release date, releasing the same day as Dragon Quest XI. Well, no, why would they do that? September and October. Oh, right. Literally, the end of oh. August to the middle of October is ridiculous. <laughs> it's 
It's it's yeah. like last year's what fe- uh, February, February through March. April all over again. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I, don't know what, I don't know what I'm more torn by: Dragon Quest and that on the same day, or Fist of the North Star and Mega Man Eleven on the same day on in October. Oh, oh, man. I really want Spider Man. I'm actually really yeah. That, that's yeah, that, that's right. like that's like four days or five days after Dragon Quest, so it's yeah. it's it's a really loaded autumn already. Oh, and I guess, uh, side note, while we're talking at the trail end about E3 stuff, um, Bioware recently released a 20-minute uh, gameplay demo of Anthem, mm-hmm. and they really should have just run that in their presser instead of the bullshit interview that they did, because it explains a lot more about how the game actually runs, and it got me a lot more excited for the game than yeah, well, anything I mean, that they've shown. I, I, I think that 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 judging um uh judging different groups by their pressers at E3 is a little ridiculous because it's really it's it's almost never everything that they're showing or taking ownership of, but and and again I like I, I thought that Nintendo's presser was kind of bad unless you uh, unless you want to read Smash Brothers patch notes, and uh, but and but what they had at their booth. Um, other than the Smash demos, didn't really live up to their presser. So it's 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 I don't I don't think you should judge companies by their pressers, but what I've heard about Anthem is much more than what that presser was because I, I we didn't cover it in great detail, but the, uh, on other sites I saw like people's impressions of it that got to see the live demo were mm. much, much higher than uh, the weird language that they chose to use for that press conference. Well then, but can't you fault some aspect of the company then? Like whether it's the marketing team or whatever for choosing to do that? Yeah, no, I totally blame Bioware for their bad messaging during that uh, during that press conference. But I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't hold the press conferences in enough esteem to care about that. It, I guess. Gotcha. It's, it, 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 they made a messy choice with, uh, yeah. with those words at the press conference. That's fair. Yeah. So it sounds like if they would have just led with the actual gameplay footage that they released, like Caitlin was saying, then we would have a much more positive impression, or like any impression of yeah. the game. So. Yeah. It was hard to understand. I mean, it's good that they actually showed um, when they revealed the game the year before, they showed gameplay because if they had just given us that interview, I don't even know that I'd know what the game's about. But yeah. But anyway, it's out there now. They just released it um, last week. So if you're if you're still kind of interested, but you want to see more about the game to see what it's actually going to do before you let yourself get excited, I would go check out that footage. That's smart thinking. Cool. Well, I know that we're looking forward to a lot of these games, like I just mentioned, uh, Cyberpunk and Dragon Quest XI, but there's one that's a little bit closer on the radar, and by a little bit, I mean it's much closer. It's actually going to be out this week, and many of us are excited to get our hands on Octopath Traveler. So they just went with the name Octopath Traveler, which is fine. I think that's a very, it's odd, but it's a very unique name. It did drop Project from the original name for it. Right. Yeah. It stuck, didn't it? It did. I think people were just used to calling it that, and they were like, well, let's stick with it. So uh, I, oh my god, I can't wait for Octopath Traveler. I binged that demo. I was a little afraid to play it because of that three-hour time limit for a while, but I eventually just dove in, and I wanted, as soon as my three-hour time limit was up, I immediately wanted to start a, you know, a new file and play three more characters, but I'm trying my very hardest to hold out and, and play it later this week when it comes in, so... I wanted to start by asking Alana because Alana, you wrote like a pretty in-depth preview of it after getting to play. So, what are your thoughts? Do you feel good? Do you feel bad? Um, I'm pretty much on the same page as you. So, 
I didn't play the first demo, so I went in pretty blind. I've kind of avoided a lot of Octopath stuff because I wouldn't say I haven't been sold by it, but like I've been trying to keep away from the hype, and I think the demo was the kicker and it went, okay, now you can get excited because it feels really good. So the idea of the prologue demo is it's a three-hour time slot and you pick your first character, and immediately that started me going, oh my god, what am I going to do? Who am I going to pick? But you can pick your first character, and that's just where you start, and then you do the prologue, and then you can go off and go wherever you want and find another character, do their prologue, or you can go off and do some more of your character's story. Um, so I picked Harnet, who is the H in Octopath, as all of the characters' names spell out Octopath, which is very cool. Um, mm -hmm. I love she's that. The, yeah, she's the hunter, so... Her main skills are she uses a bow and an axe. I love the fact that most characters dual wield. I love everything, really, but let's uh, go step does, by step. Does her pet, <laughs> uh, like, white leopard slash tiger feature into gameplay much? Yes. yes. So awesome. her, her main skill, her main skill, because every character has a path action and a battle skill. I can't remember the specific term. Um, talent? Maybe? Talent, maybe, yeah. Um, and basically her battle skill is that she can use her enemy, uh, use the animals that she, you can collect the animals and capture animals in battle, but also you can use her pet tiger to attack as well. And it's great. It's really good. Um having played around with the three characters, so I went with Hannah, Ophelia, and the scholar, Cyrus. Um, I wanted to try him. Yeah, there are there are similarities between the characters, so um, most people's path action will be um, something to do with either attacking people or, um, or getting them to follow you or to kind of um, interrogate them. So everyone's got a variation of that, because I think the knight, who's Olberic, um, has mm -hmm. a his path action is basically to challenge people to duels. Um, and Hanitz is very similar. So she can use her animals to attack people. Um, because, yeah. yeah. And in, in the, the, when they did a Nintendo Direct showing off more information about the game a couple of months ago, I think they talked about how the path actions, path actions are divided into two categories. Basically like good and good and bad or like positive yeah. and negative in terms of how they influence your reputation. So yeah. That's yeah. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, they um, you don't didn't get a lot of time with that, but it did come up when you I recruited Ophelia. It came up with her town, and it said like, "Oh, you've got like one reputation or something for this town." And obviously, if you challenge everyone to duels or get your tiger to attack people, then your reputation's going to go down or if, so on. But um, what I'm most impressed about is that the presentation lives up to all of the kind of like this. The, it's, made, it's been the main selling point of Octopath, and I dove straight into it. I love everything about the design. I love the 2D to 3D. I love the sprite work. I love the lighting. Some people have been complaining about that a little bit, and you can adjust it, which is good, but oh, I think good. it's really effective because it kind of gives you this like stereoscopic vision. Uh, but yeah, I know it's an issue. Um, I also really love the battle system, and having being someone that hasn't played much bravely, um, I really like how fast it feels to me mm -hmm. like it's a turn-based rpg but it you it, it's almost on your terms and you know the menus are easy to navigate and it was just delightful really like um i think the writings come up quite uh, it's it's pretty good um han it's weird in that she speaks or oh, her village of people speaks like very traditional elizabethan shakespearean english um which really threw me off at first. I thought, is the yeah. whole game going to be like this? It's like um, to a degree that's almost comical because they use kind of like suffixes that wouldn't normally fit in terms of the, um, the God, what's I, I'm a, 
damn linguists and I can't remember the term. Like the sort of the, the syntactic um, rules for the language. Like they are not syntactic, yeah. whatever. Um, they, they, the phonotactics, there we go. Things shouldn't, like you wouldn't say um, Colin. Or yeah, like, she says like the one that sticks in my mind is let in my arrow. And I'm like, that doesn't. Like let, something... yeah, let in my arrow strike true or, or, or something like that, right? Yeah, um, I kind of like it. I, I got used to it, but it was that initial kind of fear that I would have to put up with that with everybody. But fortunately, like everybody else speaks relatively normally, like slightly more traditional, not like yo and stuff. But yeah, like yeah. the only example I can think of. But um, it it feels like a it, it feels like a complete package. Like there's just just something that it's charming. Like it doesn't feel like this big budget. Oh, we spent this much money on this game X Y Z. It's got all this and this. It just feels quaint, and I quite like that feeling. Um, so I'm pretty damn impressed, and I may not pick it up straight away. Uh, I have other things that we'll get to later on, but um, yeah, I'm pretty damn bowled away, bowled over by it. I yeah, think. so am I. Like, um, I want to get everybody else's opinions too. But the things that I'm really taken by, like you said, are the sort of aesthetics, and uh, that lighting works really well, I think, to create good atmosphere. I guess I've discovered I have a thing. It's like my uh, one of my RPG kinks is really disproportionately, like eerily menacing, menacingly large boss sprites and enemy sprites. Hmm. When you're you're fighting in a Therian story in the very beginning, he infiltrates this yes. mansion. And, yes, you know about this, and he oh, fights yeah. this butler who is on the field the same size sprite as you he's just looks like a regular person and then you get into the battle and he's this giganto butler with like a rapier <laughs> sheath and he looks yeah, super right. intimidating and cool <laughs> that's definitely final fantasies four through six yeah, yeah like I, romancing I saga uh -huh. yes, exactly exactly so i think of like final fantasy six uh when you fight early on sabin's rival vargas i believe his name is. yep there's vargas yeah. and then a um a, a similarly colored sprite for a guy named dadaluma about around the midpoint of the game yeah and so you you know he looks like a normal sprite and then you get into battle and these he, he's this huge intimidating dude and i think that gives the enemies in octopath traveler this really compelling sense of presence and it makes them feel like the, the art style, I think, really pops, and it's it's definitely not something that you would mistake for something else unless maybe it's like Saga or something, but a Saga game hasn't done that meld of 2D and 3D quite like this has. So, yeah, I just think aesthetically, like, and of course the audio, I think, is great. Um, yeah. Music is wonderful, just astounding. Those battle themes really cut to my core, and so I appreciate, yes, I appreciate that they're using non-traditional or maybe, like, non- industry standard voice actors because it's not just Johnny Young Bosch eight times. <laughs> they're, they're I recognize a couple, but yeah, no, I like that. I like what I've heard from voice acting. Um, pretty good. I think it's great. So uh, I will, I'll open the floor here if anybody else has other thoughts. I, um, I'm liking it a lot so far. I mean, those aesthetics and that sort of diorama style speak to me on such a deep level. Um, so I'm, I'm going to be stumping up for that. Um, for that super box set, even though I don't need it, I just I just want it. It's, um, it's eight pages, one for each character, right? That's so cool, so cool, <laughs> big diorama. I love it. Um, I I have wanted things that I, I've I've wanted this sort of meld for a really really long time, and um, and now it's finally you know being realized and looks beautiful. Um, I'm not too sure about the battle system. Like it's it's a take on Bravely Default, and it's fine. 
I'm wondering if like the enemies are like a little bit too spongy because I'm finding like that boss battle with that butler. I was fighting him for a really, really long time. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it could be like maybe battles could be a little bit punchier. I mean, even, you know, running around this canyon and fighting crows and bugs um, is taking me what feels like an inordinate amount of time. And I'm wondering if I'm just doing something wrong or if it gets better later. I'm not sure. I think like this would probably be like my perfect game if it was, um, you know, everything Octopath and then the battle system was the one from Legend of Legacy. I could really jive with that. Oh, okay. But it's a really I'm, fast battle system too. Cause I'm a, cause I'm a creep like that. <laughs> well, you're a saga fan, right? So yeah. I think um, I think you're right. Maybe the battle system in Octopath takes a little bit of mm, like mental retooling to to find good strategies that work. Because I found that my problem with the the Bravely games, I actually have several problems with the Bravely games, but I don't really want to get into it now. Uh, the, the first one, like the repetition, especially. But I think that in the first one, the the battle system, the main conceit of that was like, oh, you can stockpile turns basically and use them all up at once. Great mm-hmm. idea. But what did I do in every random encounter? Use four turns at once, yeah, at, for everybody, and just do my hardest hitting attack and hope to end the battle before the enemies can make a move every single time. So I found that to be like kind of mindless and not fun. But then in Bravely Second, they added that battle continuation or whatever feature it was, so that you could progress to a second like a battle chain and um, get maybe double experience and double JP drop points or whatever they were called in that. I think up to four times. But you retained the same level of um, brave points or turn. I forget what they're called as well. So they're, it was like they're, they're BP and um and but it it retains the same level like you said. So you so it uh, if you used all of your um if you used four moves for each character on the on the first turn, then they won't get those moves back if you uh if you basically gamble on another random encounter. Yeah, and, and it, it's not set at four. Uh, it can go on basically forever even though i think the multiplayer the, sorry the multiplier caps off at 1.5 exp oh okay uh, but uh, if you use you know tricks that get, that give you extra jp you can, i'm sorry extra bp then you can have that go on a long time yeah and for me that one fairly small change was enough to totally revolutionize how i approached the battle system and i liked okay. it so much more because it's, it's i think better, that it, it's better in second yeah yeah it's sort of like engenders this more tactical and and cerebral approach to battles so with that being said it seems like octopath traveler has kind of a similar thing going on and i I mean maybe battle chains are a thing they'll introduce later i don't know but right now what it seems like is you're just doing standard actions to like you know you're not using any of your accumulated power points to do anything until you break an enemy and then you spend them all and hit as hard as you can that's what i've been doing this far and i'm not sure if there will be a time i guess what I have done, actually, is I've noticed I've, I've tried to kind of gauge enemy HP pools if I'm going through like I was going through Hanat's area in the woods and I got a sense of like there are these rat archers and I was like, okay, I think I know about how hard I need to hit them to kill them. Mm. So I was like to, you know, if I want to speed through this area as fast as I can, I know that I can do like a level two um, axe attack with Alpha and the Apothecary and then I can do Hanat's leopard attack at three and that'll kill it. And then that way I can use Therian to kill the other one in one turn or whatever it was. You know what I mean? So I think maybe you can use points um, tactically to try and like stop enemies from being able to hit you first. But it's not quite the same as burning everything all at once in Bravely's, if that makes sense. So 
Yeah, it's also I, got that cool um, uh, changes the power the, animation. Uh, oh my god, I love that so much, so much. It's like kind of cheesy, but I live for that crap when like characters calling out <laughs> cool attack names. I've said that before, probably, but uh, yes, that, that's some Wuja nonsense that I oh also live god. for. Just like, ha, and then level three, ha, and then level four. I'm ready. Are you? That's like, so good. Yeah, King number two. Yeah, I could not get over how cool that was. Uh, I think you're right, though, Fenner. I do think that it maybe maybe I don't know what I'm doing with it either, or maybe maybe it is the game, you know, having really spongy enemies to make up for the fact that you can enhance your attacks so much. Maybe, I don't know. Um, I think that's something that I probably need to discover over the course of playing the full game, but it's a very valid concern. Mm. I, I still, it's not putting me off. I'm still very much looking forward to getting my hands on it next week. Heck yeah. It's Well, is it? it's this week now, right? It's Friday. Uh, Friday 13th. Yeah. Oh, oh gosh, yeah, I, I forgot what day it was. <laughs> it's Sunday now, right? So. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, any final thoughts on Octopath before we move on? We have a lot of games today. So. No? Okay. It looks great. We can't well, wait. <laughs> uh, maybe one thing. I, I think that both in the Bravely games and in Octopath, which shared some of the same uh, design staff, they just wanted a turn-based battle system that had more options other than basic character skills and attacks. So, which is where why we have the beep, the Brave default system in Bravely Default and this charging system in Bravely in I'm sorry in Octopath Traveler. But I, I think it's sort of too simple now, just playing through the beginning of anyone's chapter. But I mean. In the Bravely games, the later classes always allowed you to use BP in weird ways and generate BP in weird ways. And I would be shocked if there wasn't a similar, you know, skill curve to Octopath. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see how they get the basics of that system to evolve as the game goes on. Because they, they're saying that the game is going to be 40 plus hours, right? Yeah, yeah. 4050. Uh, there's also yeah. going to be there's also four hidden classes, so there's going to be some oh, kind of evolution. Yeah, they announced the other day that would be four hidden classes. So um, wow. like, 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 like classes, kind of... so so four new characters or, or changes to existing characters. I would believe it's changes to existing characters because there are. Uh, I think I saw a button or a menu or something that said something oh. about class. So who knows how it, I'd like to see how it evolves, basically, and how that changes the battle system. Yeah, yeah me too. I have no idea about that. That's so yeah. Cool. Oh, I can't wait. Friday. 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 <laughs> cool. Well, Octopath looks amazing. And uh, even with that being out so soon, I feel like it's a pretty RPG-heavy summer for the Switch. We've got the upcoming expansion for Xenoblade Chronicles 2, which was announced at E3. The uh, land, what is it? Torna? The land of Torna? Torna the Golden Country? Something like Thank that. Thank you. Yeah, Torna the Golden Country. So that's coming out in just a few months. Isn't that also September or October? September 14th. Yeah. Uh, wait, when does Dragon Quest release? September 4th. September. Whoa. Okay. And, and Valkyria Chronicles is also that month, right? Oh my God. That's yeah, a risky um, one. Nintendo releases on Fridays, and most of the other groups release on Tuesdays in North America. So it's, yeah, uh, just a Friday release 10 days after Dragon Quest 11. Okay. Maybe we could push some of these games back a bit, like to the 22nd of February. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, me! Yeah. You seem like every big game is coming out then. Yeah, I, I there. No, but 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 Kingdom Hearts Three is out in January at the end of the month, right? We're only talking about good RPGs in this podcast, Caitlin. Oh my god! Oh, don't be like that. Shots fired. <laughs> okay, well, back to Xenoblade though. Before we get too far off track, so Xenoblade 2's expansion is coming in um, just a couple of months. But before that. 
we had the sort of like, and it's available right now release of the <laughs> Xenoblade Chronicles 2 DLC pack that has like the arena challenges. And I think a lot of people called this early on, but the, the you know, blade, the rare blades that they added via DLC that you get from completing this are Shulk and surprisingly Fiora. I only expected Shulk. So in Xenoblade Chronicles 2, available now, if you have the expansion pass, what you do is you can go to, uh, it's in Uriah, there's this little amphitheater, and there's a portal to basically like a an arena of sorts, which many RPGs have this trope, so now Xenoblade 2 has it as well. You enter this arena, and you fight these specifically engineered battles that are all level capped, many of them have odd restrictions, like you can only use Tora, which is a goddamn nightmare, or you can... Especially if you haven't spent the time on him. <laughs> which I haven't, because he's a nightmare. And yeah. there's also one where you can like play as Jin, and you have to kill 100 soldiers in a Titan battleship, which sounds cool, but was actually really tedious in my experience. Anyway, so there are all of these these challenge battles, and you complete them, and you get Nopon Stones, which is a special currency used in that area. And with those, you can buy some things. It's mostly alternate costumes for the characters, which is pretty cool. Um, the only one that I've purchased so far is Morag's dress uniform, which if you've seen, there's a cutscene of her in like a white coat, and she has her hat off. And her hair is like uh, braided in the back. Oh, so good, so boss. I love it. It looks. I think it looks better than her uh, standard uniform. So I got that. And then the ultimate reward for completing it is you can um, in, in the arena you can use Shulk and Fiora as blades. And if you sort of like complete it all, you can take them outside of the arena and use them in the main game. So um, now, I'm still probably less than halfway through this game but the fact that shulk and fiora appear as blades that almost sounds to me like it's like a story spoiler about the nature of xenoblade 2's world or is it just like a cute cameo you go into this portal into the arena and they're like oh wow people from all dimensions come here or something like okay. it's your typical right. like throwaway we made a crossover how do we explain it uh dimensions i don't know Okay, it's not like a near thing of like blades are made of uh, uh, people who have been wiped out of existence. Right, yeah, no, okay, it's, yeah. it's it really is just presented in the context of like, it's a fun dimensional crossover. crossover. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so. And it's also, I mean, and they sort of explain it away like, huh, well, we've noticed that the way you fight in your world is a little bit different. So maybe we should support you from the back lines. Like, sure, whatever you say. <laughs> But then when you do the special attacks with them, they kind of like take center stage briefly. I mean, it's all the blades do that when you initiate the, you know, rank one through four specials like Shulk's ultimate is uh, he does like a series of attacks and like Rex takes the Monado and does some flashes and then Shulk jumps up and does some. It's cool. Um, one very interesting thing is that Shulk has an ability. He just has the future vision from Xenoblade. Yeah. And uh, sometimes like every I think there's a cooldown on it of 45 seconds or something like that. But every once in a while, if an enemy is going to do a powerful attack, you'll get like the vision where it goes black and white, and you have to press the B button at the right time, and somebody will avoid the attack. So you don't, oh, you don't nice. get to like make changes. You know what I mean? Like how in the first one, you could actually incapacitate an enemy or whatever to make the attack not happen. But in this one, you can just like avoid an upcoming attack, and it even does the visual effect, which I thought was a pretty cool touch. So hmm. yeah. Cool. Um, I, you know, I've made no secret of the fact that I think that the Xenoblade series peaked with the first game and has kind of slid, you know, it's, it's I would agree with you. gently downhill. But um, I know that Caitlin is a big fan, so I'm not trying to disparage it horribly. Um, I just think that, you know, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is probably my least favorite of the series. And that being said, 
arena quests maybe aren't the most inherently exciting content, but I do think that having Shulk and Fiora available as blades makes for a pretty compelling reward. And it's enough that it got me, you know, I, I'd been dormant. I hadn't played the game since I beat it months and months ago. And I was like ready to fire it up and to get into that. And uh, I spent, you know, several hours playing it. I didn't finish it yet, but I'm pretty excited by the prospect of maybe in the future doing a new game plus of Xenoblade Chronicles 2 with Shulk and Fiora in my party as like my main mainstays. So, mm. uh, but I'm the only one who got to play it so far, right? I haven't. Yeah. I'm I'm waiting probably until the expansion, and then I'll I'll get the expansion pass and and have all that stuff. So cool. You'll yeah. get a lot for your money at that point, right? So. Yep. But um, the expansion is a separate standalone story. It's not encountered in the regular story for Xenoblade Two, right? Right. It's a prequel. Correct. Yeah, you're it playing as the, the villains bef- before they were villains, right? Kind uh, of. Some of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, but it would have it would have like a separate title uh, or a separate tile on your switch screen like it, it's a it's a new mm-hmm. it's a new thing yeah yeah it's its own thing so uh are there, are there and, tie-in rewards to the main game i don't know hmm. uh they haven't said i would expect there to be actually but like even in final fantasy 15 say there were every time you completed one of the dlc things you would at least get like a costume for the character in question or whatever but right I, yeah th- th- that's probable but i guess we don't know I imagine yeah. it's probably nothing too essential. Yeah, I could see them letting you bring maybe one of the the new blades that's specifically made for the expansion into the main game as just a blade um, without any story attached to it. But yeah. So, okay, cool. Well, uh, I think I'm more interested in the Torn of the Golden Country expansion than this, but I thought it was a pretty neat nod to the classic game. Also, they they look good. Shulk and Fiora, like the art style that they chose is a little bit more a little bit more cartoony and round, I think, than the original Xenoblade Chronicles, but I, I think they, they fit well and they, they just flat out, in my opinion, look better than the character designs from Xenoblade 2 on the whole. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's unfair. I think Shulk looks cooler than Rex by a long shot. But Rex he just looks so tailsy. <laughs> I think he's kind of a dingus, but I don't hate him. He's just like He has like big Eyes and hair shown in manga style. I don't. I don't think he's as interesting a silhouette or a character as Shulk. But he's got but metal phyllus maps, but he can't even make those work. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of Switch RPGs, there is. Uh, well, I guess there's still more than one that I want to discuss. But um, East Eight recently came out on the Switch, like only a matter of weeks ago. So that's yet another title in a really jam-packed lineup for uh, Nintendo's console this summer, and. We've talked pretty extensively about East 8 already. Um, Alana reviewed the... Did you review the Vita version? or? Yeah, the Vita version, yeah. Okay. And then I reviewed the PS4 version. And then I want to say Rob Rogan did the Switch version? Yep. yep. Right? Okay. So, And then do we have one for PC as well? We don't, know. <laughs> okay, all right. So we don't have four East 8 reviews, but um, we, have, we do have three. And this latest version... Um, comes out of the box with the retooled localization that was added to the game after the fact for the PS4 and other consoles. So that's nice. Um, there have been already three patches, I think, or maybe maybe if maybe four or the fourth is about to happen. But um, there have been some technical issues with the Switch version not running super well or like having weird graphical effects and cutscenes. And it seems like even with the new localization, there are still some problems with the script in terms of like grammatical errors. However, I would take a few like typos uh, over the sort of overall quality of the script as it was before, because 
sure, you can have a few missing words here or there, or have like you know a letter transposed, as as long as the overall kind of um, feeling and tone and, and finesse and skill level of the script is better than it used to be. I'm happy with it. So I, I booted it up long enough to play just like the opening section through the the Lombardia of the ship and got to the island, and that's really about it. But I did I did notice a pretty noticeable uh, quality difference in the script from the, the previous version. And I know that um, Solosi and Fenner have both played it somewhat. Yes, the new version? Uh, uh, after you. Uh, yeah, I picked up the Switch at launch. I'm sorry, the Switch version at launch. And I, I did not play the PS Vita or PS4 version beforehand. And uh, I think I should probably mention um, Rob Rogan played it on a pre-release code. So he played it on the 1.00 version but i got i think there were two patches in in three days or something uh what um, after i started playing it on um the two the the friday it came out mm-hmm. so it, it like i i went right into it on the on the 1.02 version and then there was a third patch that came in earlier this week or i, I should say last week based on when this is airing uh so i i think i i'm getting the good version of the script and i'm getting fewer graphical tears and uh, and glitches than Rob got that he reported on in his review, so I'm it it, it feels like a very good game with only some uh, minor blurriness and draw distance stuff uh, that's more in the handheld uh, uh, mode than in uh, than on console mode. So I'm I'm liking it a lot. I'm I think around the three quarters or two thirds mark in the game. Um, Oh and, oh, and it also the Switch version also comes with all of the PS4 and Vita DLC uh, costume DLC automatically added. So oh, I get nice. yeah, so I get to use the pirate costumes, which are better than the standard costumes. Yeah, <laughs> and Adel's armor too, which I really like. Yeah, um, and the the Adel silver armor I don't think is available anymore on the Vita, and but now it comes it comes automatically with the Switch version, which is cool. I don't know why. Like every once in a while, I'm a sucker for cosmetic DLC and RPGs, like. Something about being able to put my characters in new outfits can kind of like incentivize me to play through, which doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I get really amped about it. Like, yes, cool. It's like, it's totally different. In some cases, like, I I think that Lana's, I'm sorry, Lana, uh, Donna's uh, starting costume is kind of not great. It's just, it's just a a really, like a really (laughs) weird, like a really weird taped on toga that exposes her entire like midriff and back but now she gets like a cool little pirate jacket and a striped shirt with a bandana and i'm like all right this is this is so much better and pirate costumes are always better though aren't they yeah. like- <laughs> the only reason i don't have Alda adel in his silver armor all the time is because he gets a dope pirate jacket nice. yeah. and i can give him uh shades or an eye patch or a monocle if i want or <laughs> <laughs> or a little uh plushy fina that rides on his shoulder or yeah, a dark fact yeah, yeah the, the DLC gives you, I think, three or four plushies, and then there's a couple more that you can buy in the in-game uh, shop. Yeah, it's they they do good with cosmetic uh, options in this game. It's and it's and I mean uh, you've already talked about it at length. Uh, the basic loop of combat and exploring the island is great, but mm-hmm. there's sort of sometimes there's too much dialogue, or they just hang on to one scene a little too long. Mm-hmm. So that uh, I think this game probably could be four or five hours shor- shorter and be better for it. But it, it, overall, I'm enjoying it quite a lot. Yeah, I think it's it a has, really solid game. It hasn't yeah. crashed on you at all, has it? I heard that was a bit of an no. issue when Rob was playing. Oh, that's very good. I, I, like I, yeah, I've had no crashes, no real bad uh, like screen tearing or, or graphical glitches. But 
there is weird blurriness uh, when you're, especially when you're approaching things from a distance. That is, and I mostly played the Switch handheld, so that that's how I've been playing Ease Eight basically the whole time. So like the blurriness is an issue, but the crashing is not for me. Well, I personally was kind of looking for an excuse to play through Ease Eight again on like Hard or Nightmare. And the the excuse for me would be the the new script, and I already had it on PS4. But then um, now that there's a Switch version, I could theoretically play that anywhere on the go. So I think it seems. So would you say? I guess you haven't played through the original version, huh, Lucy? I was going to say correct. Yeah. Yeah, I wondered if you would recommend it as uh, a good enough reason to pick up the game again. But I I wonder I wonder if it's even fair to say that this is the quote unquote definitive edition of the game with all of the graphical issues and stuff. Um. I would say either a like a, a tricked out PS4 version or playing this on the console mode, playing the Switch version on console mode would be the definitive version. Okay. Um, because they they did add a significant amount of content going from Vita to PS4. Yeah. And, and again, Switch is based on the PS4 version, but uh, I, I haven't pl- I didn't play the old script or the Vita version, so I I don't know exactly how big the changes feel. Hmm. I gotta say that. Uh, sorry, Alana, go go right ahead. Uh, I was just gonna throw a spanner in the works and say, like, um, I've heard the PC version is basically fixed and a hundred percent now. Oh, um, that's good. So yeah, apparently it runs really smooth. It's no crashes or anything. There's no. I think maybe Scott maybe might have said it crashed once or twice, but as far as I'm aware, it's pretty much there. But I think like versus PC on the go, I think I would always take on the go because it's just more friendly. I'd rather yeah, play on my sofa than on my PC. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. All right. Well, ESA is available on Switch now. So if you're looking for any opinions on it, we have three uh, reviews that you can read to, to get a, you know, like an entire uh, wide view of what we thought of the game overall. I think that one of my biggest criticisms of it early on was just that the script was really weak the way that they had written it. And the story itself is like, Nothing super special. It does have a few genuinely interesting twists and turns, I think, but um, not my favorite East, but still a really damn good game. Yeah, that's, the, the story's fine, but I, I don't think it's the best of East, not at all. That's that's my big issue with it. I mean, I, I've, I picked it up again on PS4 very recently after not playing it um, for many, many months, and um, I was surprised to see that, yay, the new script is in there. But with that story, and... <laughs> It doesn't really make that much of a difference. And um, Derek, I know you and I agree that East games are at their best when you're in and you're out and the details are kind of light um, and you can kind of fill in fill in the gaps of this weird world that Adol yes. is exploring. Yeah. Um, so going overboard with the, like, still like, you know what? I love the... I love the relationship between Adol and Dog Eye, best best JRPG couple. But like, <laughs> did you really need to put in like a side game where you have to build up your friendship with him? Because I mean, these guys have been best friends for thirty years. You don't need to like your, your, your friendship, friendship level. Like, like, the friendship level with him amounts to like giving him a beer and being, and that's about it. <laughs> it's just really yeah. Yeah. lots of padding. Needless, yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. They doubled down on some of the things that they did with they because it's it's using some of the same um, engine. I don't think it runs on the entirely same engine as Cold Steel, like Tokyo Xanadu. Yeah, but it does does have like many of the exact same systems with like Affinity, and you have a notebook where 
if you talk to them at the right times, then it fills in more of their notebook and they have four entries per person. And like, yeah. you know, yeah, that stuff was a nightmare in Tokyo Xanadu, but a lot of it, a lot of Tokyo Xanadu was a nightmare. <laughs> right, exactly. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. but it's uh, like uh, the thing that I think that this game, like, like, well, all right, let me slow down a little bit. I think that East games, part of their appeal, or at least the best ones are the streamlined nature of them, like you said. And with this one, they seem determined to build out the world more. Like they're talking about who's from Gar Garmin and who's from Rom and who's from Greek and whatnot. That, it, like you can tell that it's the trails writers tackling the East mm -hmm. world with this game. It does. And, and one of the first quests you get is find some lumber so we can build beds in our village. And it's like, all right, fine, I'll do this and I'll give the lumber to Dogi. And then they start talking for 10 minutes about how good these beds will be and how much we needed beds and how much they miss beds. And I'm like, this is totally unnecessary. Yeah, it, it does It does the thing, doesn't it, where it's like, oh, we need to go over here. Yes. And then that's cutscene over and you're like, did you need that? Like, <laughs> no, it's... I, I felt trailsy vibes from the kind yeah. of scenes and exposition, and it was just a little bit too much. And mm -hmm. like I, I said, like like, so. yeah, definitely. Like lean, it's better. Lean world building, lean but like still interesting and um, like mysterious and fascinating. Yeah, but because... I, I, I think either like a little more exhibition than exposition than Felgana, or a little less exposition than Seven is the sweet spot. I'm not I'm not sure mm. if that's been hit yet. Even seven. I remember back when I first played seven. I thought it was a little bit too yeah, heavy-handed with the dialogue. But yeah. uh, no, no. I, I, again, I would. I, I like E seven a lot, but I think it could have used a little bit less. And uh, E eight has way more than seven. Yeah, way more. But I mean, they're both still excellent games. It's just like if we're getting down to the nitty gritty here of like what makes you know in a series of excellent action RPGs, what makes this excellent one a little bit less excellent is really all I'm getting down to. So. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm I'm liking it a lot. I'm I'm it's really a fantastic game. Yeah, yeah I, I'm I'm really determined to finish it before Octopath comes out because I really am gonna want to put Octopath in in the Switch once it you know gets into my grubby hands. Yeah, give it a home, right? I still stand by my like maybe controversial opinion that I think East Origin is the best East game. Most people seem to like Felgana, but like mm, it's up there. It's a really good one. I'm pretty obsessed with Origin. I don't know why. It just feels like perfectly balanced to me. So I am in love with any um, JRPG that's just set in one giant scary dungeon. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Xanadu next. Anybody? Yeah, Xanadu next. Brandish. Um, yeah. I'm all here for all these games that happen to be made by Falcom. Pandora's <laughs> Tower. Vagrant Di Story. Diablo One. Mm. Isn't Vagrant Story just like one city? Yeah. 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 It is. Oh, and Rob Penn is also the biggest dragon. Age. Uh -huh. He's the biggest Dragon Age two fan in the world, of course, Mister Fenner. What? <laughs> I've, well, I've it, never played Dragon Age two. I, I, I'm I sorry. It, it, all, it, it all takes place in one town, and, and it kind of sucks. Wall, right? it's, okay, not well. one, it's not one dungeon, though. Correct. Yeah, Kirkwall and the surrounding area. Well, yeah, sounds but, all right. But there's a lot of Kirkwall, and it's not for the best. So I've heard. Well, uh, I. <laughs> East 8 Switch, uh, still a great option if you want to play East 8 and haven't already, I would say go pick that up, because we recommend it with different levels of intensity, but I think it's a, a recommendation nonetheless. Um, I want to get Caitlin's opinion on some stuff, because she hasn't uh, been able to say too much yet this show. I know, Caitlin, you've been playing two games recently, one of which um, Robert Simon would absolutely like keel over if he had to be involved in a discussion for, but... <laughs> if he... Um, tell me yes. more about the amazing adventures of the android who looks just like Jennifer Lawrence in Detroit Become Human. 
Oh, just that one? Or no, I want to talk about, about all three of them. Um, yeah, Rob would hate this game, I think. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's already like spewed some hate for it in the Slack channel. And I'm like, you don't work here anymore. Get out. <laughs> Not really. Uh, but I guess in his honor, what I'm going to try and do, um, since it's it's been over a month since it uh, was released, I'll try to keep it kind of brief and do like a compliment sandwich, which he loved to <laughs> to do when he was sure. still on the show. So a little good, then the bad, then finish off with a little good. Um, so, of course, Detroit Become Human, um, winner of, uh, what was it? We, we gave it an award a couple of years back for having one of the, the worst titles in a video game. So... There's that. Um, it is, of course, as you probably know, the latest narrative adventure title from Quantic Dream, a.k.a. it is a David Cage game. The Sun King himself. Yes. Um, and, I mean, like, it's kind of, it's it's got a little bit of baggage, I think, just being a Quantic Dream David Cage game, depending on your opinion about their games and David Cage. If you really hate them, I don't know if this is going to change your mind, although I do think that they've made some some strives to improve things from previous Quantic Dream games. Um, with uh, it's, it's kind of a, a couple steps forward and a couple steps back, unfortunately. So the good, of course, is it looks beautiful. Um, at, for their times, Quantic Dream games are usually very graphically impressive. They use a, a crap ton of motion capture, and it, trans, it usually translates uh, uh, fairly well for the time, and they, they make it all cinematic and stuff, and it does definitely look impressive. Um, obviously, the PS3 games don't look as hot as they did when they first came out, and I'm okay. sure the same will happen down the line once we get to like PS5, but Detroit... It looks really, really pretty. Um, the motion capture was amazing. The actors all did, I think, a phenomenal job. Some of them, especially um, Brian Deckard, who plays Connor, uh, and Clancy Brown, who plays uh, Connor's uh, uh, police partner in, their, in his storyline, they're both excellent. All of the three main characters are really good, and the most of the secondary characters, with a few exceptions, are also uh, also give really good performances. Um, so it's definitely a looker. The environments are nice and pretty, and high res and all that that stuff. The uh, the lighting effects and uh, weather effects are also really impressive. It's definitely a game that if you wanted to show off. Uh, like your PS4 Pro or whatnot on an eight on a 4K HDR set. This is one of those games that I think you could you know could do that with. Yeah. So it's a look. It's a looker. Um, it also it still has the you know expected uh, Quantic Dream control scheme where you have analog prompts to to sort of approximate what the characters are doing and. They are not necessarily the most intuitive of controls. Um, I don't know that Quantum is ever really going to fully let that go. Um, but I do kind of consider the controls to be a positive for this game because while the, the basic concept remains, I think they've refined this, the control scheme and it does not feel nearly as awkward uh, to work with as I remember it being in uh, previous games. Like I, I remember really getting frustrated with some of the sequences in heavy rain because of trying to interpret which what they wanted me to do with the analog stick or not having enough time to figure out what buttons i was supposed to press and then failing a sequence because i couldn't figure out what sequence they wanted 
it runs a lot better here. Um, I never really felt like in a QTE sequence that I was being punished because of the speed of the sequence. It's very fair in terms of how much time you get to push buttons and there's a few there's a few awkward analog stick prompts but it's 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 not really that bad and there are motion controls of course but they also tend to work better than i remember the six axis uh, stuff working on ps3 games mm -hmm. um and a few touchpad controls that are kind of fun but i mean not nothing super serious so i do think that they've made the control scheme work better which is i mean a plus considering that most of what you're doing in these games is walking around and doing awkward controls to pick up objects and then QTEs because I mean it is a narrative adventure game that's the bread and butter of the genre and especially for Quantic Dream you kind of know what you're getting into when you start up a game like this is button prompts button prompts button prompts um, are you doing any button prompts to like dodge every piece of furniture in your house attacking you one at a time <laughs> like an indigo prophecy because oh my god i, I or, forgot that happened did, did you guys have you played indigo prophecy have you seen that scene yes i know what oh, you mean my I'm, god my big question is if like indigo prophecy there is uh analog stick intercourse there is not so okay that that's something that's a step up Yes. So alongside the, the control screen getting cleaned up, there's a fair amount that happens that I was kind of surprised didn't devolve into the expected press X to have sex or whatnot. Um, notably, the main female character, Kara, her storyline revolves around her relationship with a little girl that she has a mother-like uh, relationship with. Mm. There's no kissing that isn't like a mother-daughter kind of thing. There's no sex. In fact, there's no sex in the game at all for any characters. There's a romance in which you can hold hands, android style, and kiss very uh, relatively chastely. It's not like super sexy, like get it on, kiss. And that's it. There's, there's no sex. And I was kind of, I mean, like it's a low bar to say that I'm impressed that they, you know, restrained themselves from having a sex scene, but Considering that every previous Quantic Dream game in this style has had a sex scene and some of them have been horribly awkward and I don't know why they even, why the characters were even having sex in some of those scenes. That's kind of an improvement. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's I good. Agree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you said, if the bar is kind of low, then. The, yeah. Yeah. Um. I I don't know that I'm in the best position to discuss Detroit myself because I I actually am kind of interested in still playing it, but um, Rob Simon linked this video about basically it was like this really um, fairly venomous attack on why David Cage as a writer is a hack and you know what's wrong with the story of Detroit, and I guess I made the mistake of watching it. And I found myself not like universally agreeing with everything it said because I thought that it was a little petty, like petulant kind of the way the tone of the the video. But mm -hmm. it did spoil a lot of things about Detroit for me. And some of them made me tilt my head like, really? But like when I played Indigo Prophecy, I loved it back when it came out. But, I, you know, it was it was a long time ago. And maybe my expectations for games were different or like I just was really immersed in this idea of it being kind of like a playable movie because mm -hmm. that was an early example of it. So at the time I was like, Oh, this is super fascinating. Um, I didn't play heavy rain. I didn't play beyond two souls. So 
I don't really know, you know, I can't speak to how he's evolved as a writer or how his gameplay style has evolved. I, it is kind of hard to separate for me, like the real world situation surrounding his uh, studio with like people speaking out about poor working conditions and stuff. And I don't, I don't, you know, everything doesn't need to be like this tremendous um, fight, like for like, I don't know how to broach the issue without saying like, it doesn't have to be a social justice issue. Um, but sometimes like knowing that a game is made under really toxic conditions makes me not want to support it. So mm-hmm. um, that being said, like I, you know, I had the game spoiled for me and I know that David Cage is a kind of a crap bag. So it's kind of like, mm, well, <laughs> uh, I don't know that I'm qualified to give a fair assessment of, of the game, but from what I've seen, I think that your, your angle so far here, Caitlin is, is great. And I do think that it is, really stunning game graphically and that um, you have to kind of go in with this expectation of I'm playing a movie of sorts where I can shape the outcome. And I think that from what I've seen, they've delivered on their promise of being able to, of you being able to shape the story pretty, I mean, maybe not like overall, I know there's a set number of endings, but you can really play with a lot of the permutations of like, does somebody die in this scene or, um, you know, how does, how does this particular branch of the story progress on the the micro scale, even if the overall outcome is going to be the same, you know what I mean? Like there's a lot of choice. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. Um, I like we all, the end question is like, you know, how much do our choices actually affect the ending of the game and how many endings are there? And there's a lot of different permutations. I mean, there's a couple of main choices that, that affect endings, but then there's also a lot of little choices that affect, well, does a character reach this certain point? And if they do, do they make it through this certain point and survive or whatnot? Um, and it's, it's, it was really, I mean, like I usually kind of think of myself as being somewhat neutral, slightly disinterested in Quantic Dream games. I've played them, not all to completion. Um, I've never felt the urge to go back and replay them and see mm. different endings. Um, I don't particularly like or dislike Quantic Dream and or David Cage. I'm well aware of the reputation that he has in the community and I don't necessarily f- go one way or the other. So of course, you know, that take take what I say with a little bit of grain of salt. That's my, my sort of my context when I was approaching this game. And I fully expected to, you know, some of the things that I've seen in previous games, uh, an interesting premise that devolves uh, over time because of characterization issues or writing or the plot just going totally bananas. And the thing is, I I ended up really liking Detroit. It It's not that it doesn't have issues, it does. And the one big issue is, of course, if you've seen the video that Derek was talking about, I've seen it. Um, there's There are serious issues with how it presents um, the the world that to create the setting of this world in which androids are basically used as servants and are oppressed by humans and to create that setting to allow for one of the main characters to essentially become a revolutionary leader they use a lot of allegory from the civil rights movement and from the oppression of jews in, in nazi germany and it's not super subtle it's it's heavy-handed it's stuff like androids being 
forced to stand in the back of buses or being able to use we have a dream as a graffiti marker when you're uh, engaged in a, an act of civil disobedience. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, towards the end of the game, it's humans getting super scared and herding androids into camps where they are destroyed a la concentration camps. I mean, they're literally, they are concentration camps in a, everything but name. Yeah. Um, and it's going to be one of those things where your mileage is going to vary as to whether or not that is, that's going to a, I'd hope that it would bother everyone at least that they felt the need to be heavy handed like that. But it's also going to be a, your mileage may vary in terms of like, is that enough to completely, you know, keep you from enjoying the game or are you able to say, well, that sucks. That's bad, but there's still some things that I liked about the game. And I kind of fell into the latter of those two camps, I I don't necessarily like how they felt they needed to, you know, use uh, allegory to tell the story, but I still ended up liking the game enough to play it multiple times. And this was, um, this was not just because of writing a review. This was because I just wanted to see different endings and I wanted, I, I at least one of the characters I liked a lot and I wanted to keep playing his story again and again so there's that I yeah so it succeeded at some level i feel like I, it's kind of weird i i'd like to say that connor's story is kind of like if you can just ignore what happens in 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 one of the other characters story connor's story is kind of worth it because it's 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 good it is probably the 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 it's the most subtle i guess of the three stories in terms of what you do and you have the most choice in terms of what kind of character you become. So it's, it's more enjoyable that way, but it's, again, it's a huge, your mileage may vary. I don't necessarily want to say that everyone should try this game because I know for some people they, th that the bad is going to outweigh the good. And, and I mean, that's, that's totally a fair response. I think to some of the, uh, the choices that Quantic Dream made and when they decided how to tell a story, but there are, I mean, like I mentioned, um, they improved, I think, the control scheme. Um, there's, they, there's, there are areas where I feel like you could see how David Cage maybe by working with other writers was a little bit restricted in what he might have otherwise done. So the fact that there is no sex scene, um, the, the fact that, um, you know, you don't have to worry about that kind of weird crap happening, maybe that helps a little bit. Uh, maybe it doesn't because, you know, I don't want to just want to say that not having a sex scene, a creepy sex scene makes up for using these really heavy handed uh, racial allegories, mm. but it's something to consider when you're looking at, you know, do I want to play this game or not? Um, some other things I think that are worthwhile to mention uh, that the game does that I really liked was um the flowcharts that you get to see for every chapter. So whenever you finish a chapter, you're shown a flowchart and you can actually access this at any time during the pause menu as well. But you get to see very literally how your decisions affect the story for that chapter and how it all interconnects and leads to whatever ending you got. And some of the chapters, the ones that involve action sequences have a lot of different moving parts whether you know based on how you approach a character if you if you uh, succeed or you fail on a fight or something like that and you can see 
how this whole gigantic web interacts. You can even see how endings or choices have an effect on later chapters down the road. And then you'll see those choices show up in those in the, in the flowcharts for those chapters. It's a really nice, uh, transparent effort to show players how their choices really do affect the game in a genre in which we're told all the time that your choices shape the narrative. But I think we've all kind of come to expect that that's just wool being pulled over our eyes that, you know, maybe it, it, it affects uh, a few small details in terms of like, or, you know, have you have one or two major endings with, with like, sorry, but mass effect style color changes. Mm, right. Yeah but that you don't really have a lot of impact on the game. And this is a really good way to show how choices do, and maybe not all the time, how they don't affect uh, the story. And I kind of applaud that transparency. I hope that they keep doing it um, in future games. I would love to see other developers like Telltale maybe <laughs> consider being a little more transparent or in how you know choices actually affect their narrative. So mm, yeah. that's, you know... That's a major uh, positive for me. I wonder how much of it is them trying to, like, not gamify choices to such a degree in, in Telltale games to make it feel, like, more organic or, you know, you never know when a choice is going to affect something or not. And I, I think that's maybe an interesting angle to take, but in practice it usually just ends up being... Like when it when it says so and so will remember that, and then that character dies the next scene, no matter what you do, it's like come on. Like maybe they're trying to again make it not feel like so rigid and stiff and obvious that like this choice branched to that or whatever. But it, I I don't know. Maybe there's room for both. But I think that that you make a really good point about it being so clear in Detroit what choices you make and how they shape the narrative. And that's maybe its own kind of experience that can stand alongside things like Telltale that are more nebulous. I don't know, yeah. but. Um, and then I guess the last thing that I'll say to wrap up the the, the slightly more positive comments is the music. Um, I like listening to music a lot in games. I like to focus on it. And the music, I mean, a lot of Quantic Dream games, the, you know, Heavy Rain, uh, Beyond Two Souls had really good scores. And even if you didn't like the game, the scores were worth listening to. And I think that the same is true with Be uh, with Detroit. Um, one thing that was really cool, though, that I like a lot is that they actually brought in three composers, one for each of the main characters. So each composer, they 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 do the score for that character, and you hear that music in the in the the, the chapters that focus on that character. So it allows the creation of sort of um, this whole progression of a musical theme through the course of the entire game that's just for that character. It's almost like creating a, a, a you know an, an audio version of that character that's very distinctive and stands out. And even if the characters are in a scene together, the, the music changes and you can hear each character's theme play when they are the focus of that part of the chapter. It works very well. And it also it allows, you know, over the course of the game, each each character has like at least an hour plus of music that's been composed for them. It allows their theme to be introduced and then develop through the course of their story in different ways. And it's really, really cool. Um, so another thing that if they continue doing uh, games with multiple playable characters that I'd like to see them continue having multiple uh, uh, composers for each character. Wow, that's neat. That really gives each character a sense of identity. And I, I know that that also runs the risk of having 
each character's sounds be so disparate that it doesn't really fit together, but it sounds to me like as you oh, described, they do. They, they do fit together. So they do, yeah, and they and they're distinct. I mean, Kara is emotional, so uh, her music is very string heavy. Connor is, he's the character that you can play as either the machine slowly becoming human or a cold, ruthless Terminator kind of style. I will complete my mission at, at any cost. So his score is more electronic with lots of uh, untraditional or created instruments instead of natural like, strings and, and keyboards. And then Marcus is the revolutionary. So his story, his music has a lot of epic and there's some choir thrown in there too at various different places. And yet, yeah, they do feel like they work together. I don't feel jarring at all going from a Connor chapter to a Kara chapter just because it's a change of, of musical style. So, and oh. some of the, some of the chapters like, um, if both characters are involved, the music might be layered on top of one another and it works. So Great. It's it's really good. I'm a big soundtrack fan myself, as you know, so that's pretty intriguing to me. Well, so if there, I play it, it's something I'll focus on. That sounds like a good idea for a podcast. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. I wouldn't know anything about that. Rhythm what? <laughs> well, Detroit isn't the only game that you've been playing that uh, factors in player choice pretty heavily, from what I've heard. So another, this is actually another game that Rob Steinman would probably love to be around to discuss to a degree, or rather like Rob Stein would, would feel passionate about discussing this. I'll say that because that's that would apply better to Detroit. But he was always curious about, and now I am curious about, Vampire with a Y. You played Vampire, right? Yes, I did. Yeah. Um, yes. Rob Rob actually previewed this for us, I think, back when it was still at E3. So yeah, They showed it at E3 in previews like three years in a row, and I think he told me that he wrote the preview all three years or oh something like that. <laughs> Which is, which is why he was. Uh, I, I attended the preview with him in 2017, and he was sort of laughing about that. But it looked intriguing. It is. It's. Um, I well, I really loved it. I gave it editor's choice because I think uh, it's a fantastic experience. If you're okay with it being a double A game, it's uh, it's clearly a double A game. Uh, don't know the developer have have said that it's meant to be a double A game, so it's not going to look as pretty or run as smoothly as you might expect if you're used to, you know, AAA games from the big name publishers and whatnot. But I think um, I mentioned in my review that this is a good case for why we need more AA experiences. Um, Hellblade's another example of a great AA game. That they can be just as compelling and as fun to play as AAA games without entailing as much cost or time or um, commitment on the part of the player even. Because this is a relatively you know short in the, the ne- in the neck of the woods in terms of rpgs um you can play it uh, anywhere between 15 to 30 hours for a playthrough okay. which we, we've just been talking about you know octopath traveler being at least 50 plus hours depending on if you're going to go through everyone's story so you know there's there's that it respects your time uh for sure uh, so it's um, it's set at the turn of the 20th century, right after the end or as uh, the First World War is ending, um, while London is being ravaged by the Spanish flu. You play Dr. Jonathan Reed, um, who is a brilliant surgeon and an expert in uh, blood transfusion, which is super appropriate. Huh, what's because, that about? Yeah. Well, you literally start the game, he wakes up 
finding out that he's a vampire. That's how the game basically opens is with him already having become a vampire. And part of the story is trying to figure out what is this this uh, this affliction, trying to see if he can cure it, but also trying to learn about who made him and why and all that juicy stuff. Um, and he's a great character. I must say, I really liked him. He, he approaches things, you know, he's a doctor, so he kind of tries to approach things from a scientific perspective. And he he's, he's a new vampire, so you have that sort of introduction of learning what it means to be a vampire and what, you know, what do I have to do and what are all these other vampires doing, that kind of thing. It works uh, well as sort of introducing the player to a world full of vampires as well. Um, so you get to explore the city of London uh, through a series of uh, districts. Each district has a bunch of civilians that live in it that know other civilians uh, and have various different relationships, which you can learn about by talking to them. You'll, uh, you'll uncover hints about various people as you talk to the townsfolk or as you explore the areas and find items and whatnot. And these hints will not only give you uh, more dialogue options when you talk to people, uh, to, and that in turn can allow you to learn more about uh, the various different people living in the district, but they also will improve the amount of experience that you can harvest from them should you choose to feed on them. And that's one of the major mechanics of the game as you're progressing through the story and you're doing missions or side quests is you need to level up to deal with the various different uh, undead monsters and also vampire hunters that roam London. And while you can get experience from killing enemies, it's not a whole lot, and you can get experience from finishing side quests, you get a lot of experience if you choose to feed on people. Um, and the uh, learning more about them, of course, facilitates things because the more you learn, the more experience you can get from them. And also if they are healthy, you'll get more experience versus if they're sick, uh, they're, you know, they're not at their best. And so you can't get as much blood out of, out of them. And does feeding on them sort of like remove them from the story? Like, do they die yes. or do they become vampires? Yeah, you, you kill them basically. If you, uh, if you feed on them, there are a few instances in which you can actually turn people. It's story related, basically. Um, okay. You can't, you can't from a gameplay mechanic, turn people um, left and right. You, if you feed on them, you kill them okay. and they are removed from the game. Um, one of the menus actually gives you an overview that shows you every citizen that you've met in a district and will show you their status. And if you fed on them, they're X'd out and you can't do anything more with them. And the basically the mechanic is there to sort of make you weigh your options and determine, you know, do I feed on these people to get more experience so I can power myself up and be better able to take on enemies in combat? Uh, or do I abstain and try to find other ways to accomplish my objectives um, by doing things like side quests or or just having to, you know, go through combat being a little underpowered? And it's it's really cool because um, you when you kill someone, other people notice and will talk about it. If you talk to people who knew that person, they'll bemoan how this person died or went missing or whatnot, and they can actually have pretty substantial dialogue trees if you kill someone. And also killing people, or if they get sick and they'll they'll get progressively sicker if you don't heal them, can negatively affect the health of the district itself. 
And there's a, a series of levels, um, the game, uh, same menu that shows you everyone in a district will also show you the health of the district. As it gets progressively lower, the condition worsens. And if you get it too low, the district becomes lost. Everyone will either die or become missing. The district will be overrun by ghouls and other various enemies. It's You will lose um, all access to... Uh, talking to those people, any experience you might have gotten from learning things about them or doing their side quests. Um, and it can also end up, uh, depending on how, what you do, if you feed on people or whatnot, it can also end up uh, uh, somewhat impacting the end of the game, which I won't obviously talk about for spoiler reasons. Um, so it's it's a really interesting uh, mechanical setup to sort of, you know, give you the option to sort of play your character how you want. And it's great, I think, for a vampire game to make the character have to decide whether or not they're going to be a bloodthirsty monster who feeds on everyone or if they're going to try and be... Uh, you know, try and abstain entirely or, you know, to make up their minds about who they want to eat if they want to be selective about who they eat is really cool. Mm. Um, it sounds a little Dishonored-esque. Which I've never played, so... Okay. Um, in Dishonored, you, you know, it is it is a stealth immersive sim, uh, so you can deal with your foes by either, you know, knocking them out non-lethally or um, killing them. And if you kill them, uh, in the first game, they get, they you know, their corpses get found by these hordes of rats. And the more people you kill in the game, the more the rats start taking over the city and Ooh. it becomes more decrepit and... Um, chaotic and in the sequel it's a similar thing but with these um uh these blood flies that are like these these um giant parasitic flies that start taking over districts it's it's an interesting little system yeah huh like this good i was just gonna say i think it's neat that they've created i mean it, it feels gamey but also it's a tangible way to see the effects of your decisions on mm. a community or an area so I had no idea that Vampire had such an involved kind of ecosystem. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, I guess I, for the purposes of review, I intentionally got a, a district uh, uh, destroyed by the end of my first playthrough. And I got to see how that affected things. And then I went back and I tried to do a, a, a faster uh, playthrough. Uh, where I didn't do nearly as much exploring or side questing and whatnot, and just to see how things changed. And um, it's interesting. Like uh, the every district has a, a pillar. Uh, this is a character who is extremely important to that district, and you have to deal with every pillar throughout the course of the game. And here's where those, some of those, like if you want to turn someone, turn them into a vampire, you can have some of those choices. But how you deal with these pillars is hugely important to whether or not the district survives. And it was interesting to see that the choices that I made in my initial playthrough that I thought were like maybe the best choices, I was trying to be pacifist and not really kill many people. They had some unintended consequences that made things significantly worse. I kind of screwed up in a couple different places and, uh, and uh, destroyed things that I didn't mean to because I was trying not to 
kill people or I was trying to, to you know, be the, the sort of the paragon, because that's usually my, uh, my uh, preference when you're given the option of, of uh, being good or being bad. And it was, it was surprising and kind of interesting to see that my, my good intentions were not always rewarded uh, thusly uh, with the game. So I'm, I'm seriously I, pulling up Steam right now to add this to my wish list because this yeah. is sounding more interesting the more you talk about it. And yeah. I had totally written this off as something that I probably wasn't going to be interested in whatsoever. But I also did that once upon a time with Mass Effect, and uh, I fell in love with that. So <laughs> Maybe this makes me sound like a sociopath, but the intriguing part of that gameplay loop to me is doing good things for citizens, improving the the health of a district, getting everyone up to as healthy as possible, and then like choosing which ones I'm going to eat based on how much experience they'll give me. It's like, it's, it's like I'm fattening them up to eat them. Like I'm the witch in Hansel and Gretel or something. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, that's kind of, if you want to do that, if you want to feed on citizens, you are incentivized to learn everything you can about them and keep them healthy. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then once you've like done their side quest and you have no more use for them, yeah, then you can eat on them. And then it's like, mm-hmm welcome all this sweet experience. Now I will say that the experience that you get, it's, purely used uh to make you better in combat there's no there are no um uh skills that are social based um you do have a a technique called mesmerize that you can use that's what you use basically to uh hypnotize people and draw them away to a secluded area so you can feed on them um but that is leveled up purely through story progression um so all of the things that you've spent experience on are things that either improve your health or your stamina or the amount of blood that you can draw from enemies and then your skills that you can use in combat or to stealth there's there's a few stealth options which i didn't really focus on that very much because i just it was easier just to go attack enemies. And eventually I was kind of, uh, you know, like overpowered um, because I did all the side quests that I could do. Um, So that is something to consider is if you don't necessarily want to become a super duper combat powerhouse, you don't have to feel like you have to feed on people because Mm. all it does is it makes you more powerful in combat. I'm I'm intrigued by- Basically do a level one run or something? Um, you can, I don't know if you stay level one though, cause you do get experience from completing quests and you do okay, get experience right. when you learn things about people. So if you just didn't talk to anyone and went through the main story, you would, you would be very low leveled. And, um, I, I didn't actually try that. I've seen some discussion about whether or not the game has level scaling though. So it, it may be that the game will adjust to you if you, if you try to do that. I think Uh, what I meant was like, if you could go through it without feeding, but I mean, why would you? You're a vampire. Yeah, you can. You can can totally go through it without feeding on a single citizen um, or even some of the story uh, 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 characters that you encounter. Um, You could do a completely bloodless run and that will affect, um, it doesn't affect the the ending at large, but it affects parts of the endings and things like that. kind of a different outcome for the character and one of the the uh, main uh, secondary characters depending on whether you choose to be a you know bloodthirsty monster or to just not feed on anyone that sounds uh, so cool yeah um so and i guess the the the, the other things to talk about are the fact that, you know it's a double a game it's not the prettiest game that you're gonna see i think character models and animations are kind of bad um and and amusing amusingly bad in some cases 
Um, they're not the most horrible thing, but it's not a looker in terms of, of characters. Um, the atmosphere of the world is really good, though. Um, being a vampire, you can only go out at night, so you only see London at nighttime, but it's dark and oppressive, and uh, it rains a lot, so there's lots of, you know, sort of grim, kind of grimy kind of feel to it. So it definitely creates that atmosphere of you are a creature of the night stalking the streets of this this town, this city during one of its most trying times. Um, so there's that. And I think that's it's a good example of how art design and atmosphere can be more important than graphics, pure graphics, because even though the character models aren't the prettiest you'll see, I still really kind of enjoyed running around the city and, and dealing with uh, various different ghouls. Um, the other thing, of course, is combat. So combat, it's kind of, I said in my review that it's not Bloodborne and Dark Souls, and it really isn't. It's kind of a light version in that you you have basic uh, melee and ranged attacks, and you have your vampiric skills that you can use to attack enemies, and you have to be aware of where people are and you you do kind of learn their tells for when they're going to attack and you have to dodge and be fast on your feet it's kind of like dark souls bloodborne in that respect but it's clunky it's not super flashy you're not going to be dealing with super crazy looking enemies the way you might expect in a in a, a blood souls kind of game um you have various different vampiric enemies and you have vampire hunters and some bosses that are kind of cool looking and that's kind of it. So it's not, you know, it's, it's clunky and it's, it's, uh, there's, there's some uh, slowdown that I witnessed in menus and occasionally uh, with the game taking its time, recognizing that I pushed the dodge button or something like that. Um, so it's not a super smooth experience, but it's serviceable for what it's meant to be. And the focus I think is much more on the role-playing aspect of how you want to play Jonathan Reed and talking to characters, the citizens and learning things about them and how you deal with the, uh, the main characters of the game. And I think, you know, for what it's, for what it's worth, that stuff is really strong, even if the combat isn't the, the smoothest thing that you've ever played yeah and does it have because you mentioned um growing stronger via experience points whenever you fed on people so does it basically like do you do you have stats that improve or is it just like you unlock new stronger attacks um so it's a bit of both um you have stats in the sense that you can increase like your health pool and your stamina pool and the amount of blood that you can uh you have a blood menu that's you know you use blood basically to power your vampiric skills so you have to uh regain blood either from enemies or by using items to give yourself a boost um so you can you can increase all of those and in that sense you have stats um and it, it, you do have hp you'll, you'll when you look at yourself in the menu you'll see you have numbers uh for hp and whatnot and, and enemies will give you hp bars too that you can keep track of as you deplete them um, but you also do use your experience just to power up uh your uh your skills and have them do more damage or uh, have them uh, give them secondary effects. Um, most of your skills have at least two different paths that you can take them down that will kind of change how they behave. Um, 
for example, your main health regeneration move, which you do have that, um, uses blood to give you some health back. You can either have it um, give you a, a nice big chunk of health immediately, and the trade-off is that you don't get to regenerate as much from using that skill, or you can flip it and you can get more of a regeneration effect from it over time and not so much health given to you immediately. So you have choices to decide in terms of, you know, how you want to uh, develop those skills. Um, I don't know that I feel like it necessarily super changed the way that you uh, approach combat. It's more of a question of what skills do you choose to bring with you? You can only have four equipped at a time, um, along with one of three different ultimate attacks. So you can have different builds in terms of, do I want to use the, um, the invisible skill that, that turns me invisible and lets me sneak past enemies as long as I have stamina? Or do I want to really focus on heavy melee and, and blood skills that let me just completely wreck enemies? Um, so it's kind of a mix. I mean, in terms of like, is it purely stat-based or is it all about your your skills and whatnot? Okay, that's a good answer. I just couldn't really tell if this was going to be more like a... Um just a pure action RPG. I'm thinking along the lines of, I don't know why this comes to mind, but like uh, say Mega Man X4 <laughs> or something when you're playing oh, as zero, right? And like, and like every boss that you beat gives you either kind of like a new button to push or a new, like, oh, now I can do an uppercut and I couldn't do an uppercut before. So it just wasn't clear to me if Vampire was like, I'm stronger, so now I can unlock the thing that lets me press X to fly. Otherwise I couldn't, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Um, uh, not, not necessarily. You don't, you don't really get new skills based on like bosses that you beat or, 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 uh, or story progression. Some, you can't upgrade things beyond the level that you're at, okay. but you, you pretty much have access once you lead the tutorial phase where it's getting you used to how combat and how the experience usage works. You basically have access to whatever you want that's within your level. Cool. I cannot believe you brought up Mega Man X4, Derek, because I bought that. I bought that on the PSN store like 48 hours ago. Really? I don't know. <laughs> it's on my mind, I guess. Mega Man's like always on my mind, though. So. Oh, I, I feel you. Yeah. Well, cool. That, I mean, Vampire sounds a lot more engaging and intriguing than I expected it to. Certainly. So that's that's two for two today, Caitlin, on games <laughs> that I may end up checking out that I didn't really uh, have much interest in before. So, cool. Do you feel like you've said your piece on it, like? Yeah, yeah, that's that's. Uh, I mean, I can you. I could always say more because you know me. I can't shut up. So, so please, <laughs> God, please Caitlin. shut me up. Shut up. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> I appreciate hearing you talk about this, especially because that, that's a perspective that I just don't. I don't have access to, and I like. I haven't played either, and I wasn't going to necessarily. So, thanks for being here to share. Um, I, I want to circle back around to a couple of uh, Japanese RPGs where we've got like such a full slate today that I don't want to spend, you know, forever talking about each of them, but maybe one that's a little bit more pertinent because the release is upcoming in like what, two days as of this recording is Shining Resonance Refrain. This is the first shiny game to be released in the US in a really long time. I want to say the last one was like one of the PS2, like Shining EXA or whatever. Or... 10 years is sticking, yeah. Okay, yeah. So it's been a, a hot second since we got a Shining game. And Shining has definitely undergone a transformation it's gone from the tactical grid-based rpg that i like i fell in love with shining force um on the sega genesis and I, i'm pretty sure those were my first tactical rpgs ever um, same here 
yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that were the first for a lot of people because it was pretty pretty fresh at the time. Pretty yeah, unless you were like PC gaming, it was probably yeah. And I wasn't at that age. Yeah, nor was I. So so you know, Shining has come has, has turned from that tactical RPG series into like they've gotten more action based and like I've noticed a trend of them kind of being like harem games. Uh, um, I don't know. Yeah. Based well, based on the character art and how they present the casts, I think that's fair. Yeah, I don't know. they they seem kind of maybe uh, well, they've been more action oriented, but this most recent one especially feels like a um, Alana described it, I believe, as like a budget tales or tales light. Mm, I agree. Right? That's how I feel very much within. Yeah. Games. So um, I've played. Are you you're playing the full version, Alana? Or um, yeah, I have the full PS4 version. Yeah. Okay. And it, we, we should mention um. Shining Residence Refrain is a PS4 Switch PC remake of a PS3 game from several years ago. It's yes. just, yeah, it's just a port, actually. Um, it's oh. got some new additions to it. So does anyone mind if I jump into the additions? Go, please, then? go right in. Go for so, it. So the menu, uh, this is present on the demo version as well. You can pick between two modes, and it's original mode and refrain mode, I think. Um, mm -hmm. But original mode is just the base PS3 game with graphical upgrades. I think all of the DLC is available. Um, refrain mode in the main game you can play straight away. But the only difference is you can play as two additional characters. And these two characters do not affect the story in any way. They do not have any uh, additional dialogue and cutscenes. Um, they don't? They are just there straight away. No, well, I don't want to spoil too much, but one of them's on the box. Excella, the girl with the Pink yeah, girl. she's in the box. She's the villain, basically, and yeah. she's in your party. And it's really disconcerting because the guidance is to play refrain mode after original mode, but there are no differences between the two versions at all. So it's almost like I feel like refrain mode, or at least Excella and the second character who they add, um, should be unlockable after you've done one playthrough or something, and then you can. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so can you can you fight Excella as a boss, like yep. with her and your party? Yeah, you can fight Excella as a boss with Excella in your party. Yeah. Children. Yeah. I would have thought that they'd work that into the story somehow. It was like, oh yeah, that you know, whatever by whatever reason, change of heart, they join your party and like they're crusade against the real bad guy or something. But yeah, but dimensions like are there dimensions? Yeah. Oh my god. Base, yeah. The fact that she's just there—that's so bizarre. I had no it's idea. Really yeah, I, it's I, I, I assumed something like David, like sorry, like Derek was proposing. This is this this is crazy. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought. I mean, at least make them unlockable after you've, like I said, like play the game or make it free downloadable content and explain it. But yeah, they're two separate game modes, but there is no difference in them apart from these two characters there, and okay. it's a little bit weird. Um, but yeah, the what you were saying to like lead up to how shiny the Shining series has evolved, I feel like this is exactly what you said. So you've been saying, you said it was going in an action harem kind of way. So most of your party are women anyway. Uh, the main character is male. Um, his name's Yuma and he can turn into the Shining Dragon, which is this super powerful dragon that has all of these. Um, he's nah. just, yeah, he's just, yeah. Shining. <laughs> so it's a um, harem game? Yep. A little bit. There are male party members. So it's, not quite, but yeah. Um, well, the the impression I get is that it's like Yuma is sort of the center. He's he's revered by people yeah. for being the shining dragon. So there are these women who are kind of throwing themselves at him and being like, "Oh, we want to serve you. We want to take care of you." 
exactly um, exactly that yeah and even the men are just kind of like bowing his feet a little bit but uh yeah so <laughs> reluctantly yuma agrees to help out this kingdom um they're in currently in a war with another kingdom who owns three special dragons that are all named after special spears from norse mythology this game rips a lot of norse mythology <laughs> <laughs> so one of the dragons are called Gungnir, um, Gaybolg, and, and I can't remember the third one, uh, Trishilda or something like that. Mm. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, uh, I'm not even 10 hours in. I'm in chapter three. There's eight chapters, so I'm judging it's about 30, 40 hours long. Um, yeah, there are dating elements to add to this as well. So your standard gameplay is like, you go out, you can do, you get given a quest by somebody, you go out, hunt a monster, and go and find investigate what's going on uh things like that um but on the side uh you have all of your party members men and women you go up and talk to them you can build relationships with them there is a choice element so you can say something and they'll like you more or dislike you more if you say the right or wrong thing and then you can take them you can invite them and go and speak to them on the balcony in um the inn so i think i failed to mention the whole game is the your hub base is one town through the whole game it'll never change um mm. so you're living out you're working and living out of this inn basically and there have been a couple of sweet discussions um in particular the bonus character the male bonus character that you get i feel like i mean obviously this is spoiling potential story later on for me but there seems to be a connection between yuma and this other character and because you don't meet him straight away story-wise if you do any kind of dialogue choice with him beforehand there are some pretty obvious spoiler or foreshadowing for later story elements i feel but oh, okay. it's, i'm not sure if it's going to go a romance route with any of the guys and i'm obviously treading the water and trying it out to see how <laughs> sensitive or desensitive they deal with it so we'll see i'm doing a girl as well just to kind of balance it as well and see how they do it but hmm. yeah i'm not sure how deep that romance system's going to go apparently you can end up dating them or kissing them or something like that but we'll see where it goes but um um before we were having a talk because obviously derek's played the demo solosi i know you played the demo at e3 as well yep. uh, but yeah and derek commented beforehand that he felt that it was a little bit lifeless and i went mm -hmm. in with fairly low expectations and i don't mind the combat it's okay if a little bit repetitive diet tails repetitive kind of i suppose but yeah, lifeless is a pretty good word. Like, it's fairly generic story-wise. The characters aren't too tropey, but there's nothing about them that stands out. Like, I can't remember anybody's name half the time. So I have to... I have a literal PlayStation board page in front of me. Um, <laughs> With their names. Like, yeah. uh, there's, like, the elf uh, Diva Magica. I just remember her title. Yeah. Oh, um, God, yeah. That's the I, other I, just, I just remember them as Sword Girl, Elf Mage, Dragon Boy, and Dragon evil lady yeah, like I, a I, trumpet yeah yeah uh, Kerika is the mage who's got the bow and she's mm -hmm. cool i like her a lot but yeah the, this is another thing that it does so everyone who's familiar with tales games knows that tales games throws lots of terminology at you and uh shining resonance <laughs> refrain throws a lot of weird terminology like diva magica came up and i had to stop and breathe for a minute but it's basically <laughs> like songstress <laughs> It's songstress names or something like that. She yeah, can talk I, with dragons, basically. I, I, I love made-up RPG words for magic. I, I just live for that stuff. But <laughs> I, I, yeah. I, it can be pretty impenetrable if they throw it all at, all at once at you. And it's different for every Tales game. It's it's maddening sometimes. Yeah, uh, it's pretty overwhelming. Um, but 
Yeah, combat-wise, that's okay. So I've been thinking, I've been seeing a lot of similarities between Tales of Zestiria, and the, that was the first Tales game that went open world with its combat, and that mm. if you ran into an enemy on the field, all your party members would pop out of you and you would start fighting them on the field and everything around would just disappear. It wouldn't go into a separate battle screen and Shining Resonance Refrain does the same sort of thing. Um, the It's a lot more simple than Zestiria's kind of strange combo system that works on CC or whatever the tel Team Destiny mainstay is, or maybe even the series mainstay now. But um, yeah, you have strong and weak attacks. You can dodge. Uh, you also have special abilities, which are called forces, uh, the basically special attacks or uh, spells. Um, it's pretty basic. Like, I'm not going to lie. I've gotten through most fights button mashing so far. So you yeah. have a stamina bar and... If you use like too many strong or weak attacks, your stamina bar depletes, but you can then use like an MP attack or a force and it will recharge as you're doing that. So MP attacks don't use stamina, which is useful, but then you're just going on this loop of doing, oh, I'll do a couple of weak attacks, a couple of strong attacks with everything apart yeah. from bosses. And, and I think skills were on your face buttons and R1 and your magic skills were on were on L1 and the uh, in the left side of the controller. So when I when I in the yeah. demo in the demo when I was um, doing the last boss section, it felt like I was just switching which controller side I was playing with. It's it, very it, weird. It was just like a weird pendulum battle system. Yeah, I don't like that placement at all, especially because it brings up a separate menu and then you have to press triangle or something to activate anything. But yeah, it should be on R1, basically. Um, but there's many different layers to um, customization and things like that, which I was quite impressed with, but it's almost a bit overwhelming. Um, so one thing that sticks out to me as a kind of positive and a negative is that characters do have slightly different styles or you can gear them to do slightly different things so yuma is that he uses a two-handed sword so he's obviously a little bit slower than everything else but you can equip something that's called a tuning um which is a basically a weapon skill um to change the way he fights and so i bought early on something to help him like speed him up basically because he's a bit useless slow and i don't really like playing as slower characters um uh, you have to pay for this, um, but you don't keep it. So every time you want to swap between a tuning, you have to go back to this one person in town and rebuy the same tuning. You level these up with experience, and they keep their experience, but you can't level up more than one at the same time. So you have to go back, spend 200 gold on this tuning, and then, oh, I want to change back to another one. Oh, a new one's unlocked. But you have to go buy it again, and you can't keep all of them. You have to keep going back to rebuy them, which... I like being able to tell somebody to focus on healing more, but why is that not a default? Like, why can't I keep it and change yeah, on the fly? That's why bizarre. It's like, be, it's like having to go to a town and rebuy any weapon that you unequip. Yeah, basically. Um, you also don't buy weapons. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, oh. It's really strange. Uh, you don't buy weapons and equipment either. So you buy, uh, I can't remember what they're called, but they're basically like stones that you equip to weapons. Um, and they give you like stat buffs, so like 10% HP, 10% MP, they stay with you. So yeah, you can't have more than one of each though. So you can't have two MP HP buffs on one person. You have to spread them out a little bit. So um, yeah, early on in chapter three, like I don't want to say pleasantly surprised. Like I said, I went in with low expectations and they've pretty much been met, but it feels like 
the bread and butter of JRPG. It feels like the low end of JRPG to me. Like it's serviceable, but it's not doing anything particularly special for me at the moment. Like story-wise and character-wise, it's forgettable. The battle system is okay, but it's a bit button mashy. There are strange difficulty spikes in bosses, so enemies like scale up with you, um, which is useful, but bosses tend to be about 10 levels above what you are unless I'm doing it totally wrong but who knows um yeah and then obviously there's the weird refrain mode which should just be the standard game mode or at least make Excella and character number two unlockable so I mean we're, we're okay it's fine seven eight hours in we're kind of getting there um but yeah I think yeah, I... it seems like a not to rag on it too hard. It just kind of seems like a lot of mediocre decisions that snowball into a more mediocre experience than it needs to be like uh one the hub town why I mean operating out of a hub town could be okay, but it seems like it doesn't work super well in this game no um, there's no it, quick travel either and the town <laughs> is like really bland oh, man. it's yeah, just kind it of is... like a generic European seaside town without any you know, interesting architecture or features or whatever. And yeah. there's nothing to do in the town, really. There's like a couple of NPCs and that's it. Yeah, you can pick up side quests. <laughs> say a couple, I'm imagining like literally two people. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a few, but um, yeah, you pick up side quests from people. They reset every day. You can stay at the inn and reset time, but there's no time limit on your days. Uh, and they reset, but they are, I've, I slept and literally picked up the same five quests the following day from the same five people. Like no. Yeah, so I don't know whether they're chapter-based or something, but they're all really similar. They're your typical fetch quests, go and kill 20 of these and that, the, yeah. No, that's bummer. Weird, but, but it's like that combined with kind of the, um, I find that the maybe the weight, the like W-E-I-G-H-T of actions in the battle system feels off to me. Um, in yeah. Tales, I think there's a little bit more of a tactile feel or of a like a satisfying, ah, yeah, I executed that right when I wanted to, whereas there's kind of a, like, there's a buffering time, I've noticed, when I input some actions. There is, yeah. There's a charge. There's a charge for most actions. Some are immediate. Spells are obviously delayed, but there are some attacks, like, um, Yuma has one that he has to charge up, and it takes him about two or three seconds to use it, but obviously then you're vulnerable, but it's weird. And Yeah. I mean, I don't want to completely write the game off or anything, <laughs> but um, I'd be interested to see how it continues to evolve if at all over the course yeah. of its playtime so yeah i mean i'm interested in the dating mechanic if there is one which i believe there is and i want to see how they handle characters because it might be that one character does have an interesting thing and it might do the xenoblade 2 thing and that you know characters and blades are more interesting in their side quests and mm -hmm. but they're tucked away it awesome. might be that so we'll see um oh um can you talk a little bit about the music system Oh, yes. So, yeah, because the Shining series is pretty well known for having an emphasis on music. Um, this one, um, most of the characters' weapons, hence why the weapon refinement is called tuning, because you're retuning their weapon, they're designed on uh, musical instruments. So Kirika, who is the mage elf bow lady, um, she her bow is a harp as well. Um, but what it all amounts to is, is when you get a certain number of party members, you learn something called a band. You get a band gauge, as in music band, and it's B-A-N-D as a, uh, like, what's the word? Uh, like the Acronym? That's the one, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, and I think it's yeah. uh, it stands for Ballad of the Noble Dragoneers. Yeah, I think so. I've, yeah. I'd completely forgotten that. I think I just went, oh, it's a term. I just can't absorb it right now. But, yeah. Um, uh... 
Yeah. Uh, so what this does, it's pretty cool, actually. I like this. Um, so you charge up this meter in battle. It doesn't take very long. Uh, and all of your party members form a band. And there's one character at the centre centre of the band. And depending on who's in that central position, you get different stat buffs for as long as the gauge is up, basically. Um, so that might be an attack boost. It might be a critical attack boost. It may well be a speed boost. And that's the only uh, musical thing I've seen so far, and it's pretty cool, and it's one of the things in the battle system I actually really like, um, because it recharges really quickly as well. Um, so I'd like to see who or what um, who, what else adds to that system and what other characters bring to that. And, well, if there are any other. and when you execute like the, the band thing, it, pl it actually plays a song, right? Like yeah, it does. So I believe the, the production group are called Elements Gardens, who I've not heard of before, um, but they are pretty well known for doing like anime openings and things like that. So it's pretty cool. I mean, it's a little cheesy, but... Yeah. Okay, it's like Magical Girl, basically, I suppose. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. I mean, yeah, I'd be curious story. to see like each of each character. I would imagine there are different songs and stuff, right? Like actual melodies that are, that are different and stuff. So I, I guess I'd want to hear those and see how it goes. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Uh, but... cool. Well, uh, you've been you've been playing two games with fairly actiony battle systems, so. Shining Resonance Refrain would be the newer one, but I know that you've also delved back into Star Ocean 2, right? Yeah, uh, so this is the only Star Ocean game I've never played, so... It's the best one! Best one, yeah. Yeah, mm, yeah I've played one as well. So, I mean, I played the PSP version, but yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I've just got Ernest, so I don't actually know how far through I am. <laughs> about halfway, maybe, or getting oh, there. Yeah, that's, that's I think about that, yeah. There, yeah. Yeah, I was, I'm surprised at the balance between the discs, because for the first time ever, disc one and disc two are like equal length, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah, not just disc <laughs> being 75% uh, cutscene data. Yeah, oh yeah. Exactly. Like the ending scene. <laughs> okay, so who did you choose, Claude or Arena? I went for Claude, and I kind of regret it already, because... Um, that, that means you don't get Diaz. Yeah. Exactly. The best character. Um, exactly. No, Opera's the best character. Opera is the best. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it that. Confirmed. Um, yeah, I think I went... I just flipped a coin in the end, so I asked my Twitter people what who I should go with, and it was pretty even. I mean, there's minor differences, because uh, you can still control Claude anyway. Yeah, I regret it, because DS is cooler than Leon. Leon is very irritating already. Yeah. Oh, never mind. And also, Star Ocean games have a problem with mages and AI, and that they're terrible all the time. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, Renna's okay, because I just tell her to not do anything, basically, but heal. You can but... turn spells off and on for Leon or, or Celine and likewise, but it's still the, the mage AI is dumb, I'm not going to defend them. <laughs> exactly, they'll still stand there and get battered and they just burn through their MPs, so it doesn't matter what you turn off and on, they'll just repeat the same spells. I think I've heard Leon, and I should probably specifically say I'm playing the PS1 version, so I'm getting the full experience from 1999. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I love it, it's so have you, lose. have you have you gone to the sound test feature from the main menu and just yes. at that? <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, that's it. about eighty points. <laughs> that, that was famous. That really threw me off, though. I'm, I just don't know. There's some there's there's some in joke in that uh, localization team that just went, let's stick that on there, and it's like, what do you mean, Claude? Or is it that voice clip where he's like, Claude or something? I've not 
had everything. Fraud but... advances forward. That's like it. That, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because in the, I think like some of the early promotional materials or whatever for the game had his Japanese like uh, the transliteration of his name as Crawd C R A W D yeah. instead of Claude. So maybe they were like, "Oh well, how funny." Let's make a voice line. I don't know. I gotta say, I think the character art in that PS1 version is way more charming than the uh, more anime style that they made in Second Departure. They smoothed out the lines too much. It's not. uh, I basically agree. Yeah, it is. Um, So it's been an interesting experience because having played one, three, four, and five, um, playing two, which everyone regards as the best. It's, I'm enjoying it, but like I think I'm missing the magic probably because I didn't play it before maybe the rest of them. I really like it and I would probably say it is the best, but I would probably only say that because it's not really gone any further since 2. So like writing-wise, the quality hasn't improved. Yeah, almost definitely thing, not. <laughs> no, and you know, it's had to improve mechanically. I mean, in some cases it did, in some cases it didn't. Because, like, the battle system, obviously, action-based. but 4 has the best battle system, but, like... Absolutely, yeah. Uh, but the God. worst characters in this... Well, no, I haven't played but 5. Four, 5 is so bad! It, I, I was can't... blown away by how bad 5 was. Yeah, um, but mm-hmm. 2 has the best characters in the entire series so far for me. Minus Leon. Uh, Pressus is even okay. Um, yes! Yeah, I honestly don't mind her. Like, I like her a lot. She's adorable. Um, she's not too irritating. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, it's just weird going back to a game. And everyone's like, "This is the best," and it's suddenly mm-hmm. like, "Well, hang on a minute." Like, it's not gone anywhere since 1998-99. Like, this series is 24 years old. I want to say, is it 1996? Yeah. Starish. Yeah. 20, yeah. 22. So years 22. Old. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like. It's gone anywhere since 1998-9, and then Star Ocean 3 comes along, which is good, but Fateline God is a whiny brat, and I can't stand him. Um, <laughs> yeah, I had considered picking up the uh, PS4, like, slight remaster of that, uh, mm. but I, 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 I watched the trailer for it that's on the PlayStation Store, and I was like, I don't think I can play this again, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I re-bought 3, and I tried to play it, and I didn't get very far, and I just didn't, I couldn't, I didn't feel anything for it. Like, there are some cool characters in 3, like Nell and Maria stand out as being really cool, and Barrage as well, but everybody else can kind of go not be there, basically. Uh, But 2, in particular, it's a simplistic version of the action battle system, because you can only press one attack, one button to attack, and then use, obviously, killer moves, which are what became special moves or (laughs) <laughs> whatever um but yeah i like it a lot and it's just a shame to see that that's where it peaked and i think it's the first time i've ever come across a series peaking so early and never going anywhere with it like star ocean 5 is probably the quickest i've returned a game ever i think oh, oh, within man. two two weeks i did it i just gave up i got to a bit where you uh there's a part of the game where you there's a point of no return where you get onto a uh, spaceship and i was apparently between being the right level you can wander around there was a section where you would like i think i was level 28 or 9 maybe 30 you were the right level for the area the dungeon got through it pretty fine and then there's a bit where they're like okay go and do whatever you want but we need to go soon 
So immediately I just assumed, oh, I'll just move it on because I want to get on with things. There's a 20 level difference between the two areas. Projection. And I got stuck on a particular bit where you have to defend the mate, one of the women, one of the, the one who comes with um, the Kenny descendant. Um, she's like working on a computer and you have to defend her and stop her from dying. And I just went, no thanks, and took it out and sold it. So. Yeah. Uh, oh, lucky you. Some of us uh, were playing for a review. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not accountable for that at all. <laughs> not at that point. But yeah, um, I'd like to add some more thoughts on Star Ocean 2. I think me and Fenner would like to do a series retrospective at some point, which would be pretty cool. So, yeah, that would be really fun. I'd be really up for that. Yeah. We've, so what, We've never had a Star Ocean game on Retro Encounter. Interesting. I mean, Star Ocean 3 is about 50 hours, so if you can bear with it. Yeah. And Star Ocean 2 is probably 35 max, I would say, going mm -hmm. by 15 There's hours. so much weird stuff to do in that game, though. I mean, the reason why I like that game so much is it's jam-packed with all this bizarre hidden content. Like, yeah. I'm sure you probably have heard about, like, you know, the big to-do to get thief gloves and then level up the thief skill and then like steal one item from a random little girl in a town and you only have one chance to do that and then that unlocks like a secret super final boss and it's like what is going on in this world oh does it unlock one of the valkyrie profile bosses oh uh, well there's her but then like i think it changes the final boss into something like bigger and badder oh i have heard that yet yeah i missed yeah. the gloves on i've got them weird. now but but I think I've got them too late and I think I know the girl you mean because I think you talk to her and she's like, oh, don't come near me. And she walks off and <laughs> I was like, that it's seems strange. wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the item creation system, I had to literally dig through all the menus to find. So you don't, there's no Welch and there's no like synthesis shop. You have to do it through the menu. So you I'm have to make all these flaccid salads. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you have to like level up three particular skills for each character, and they can only modify their own weapon as well. And you have to do it through the item menu. And I'm like, how do you do this? Like, I'm trying. It took me until like hour fifteen to learn this, and now only can I use my Oracalcum to make Opera in extremely powerful. Probably before we go to another planet. So, yeah. Yeah, like not to mention, I was just thinking there's all those other weird skills. Like, can't you teach your characters geography or math yeah. or yeah. Yes. He's like, sorry, sorry, math? Sorry, math. A great yeah. novelist. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, the books. Yeah. yeah, you can do publishing. Uh, you can play music. You can also learn to speak to gods. So you can be pious, basically. <laughs> um, I, I remember grinding to write the books that improve people's opinion of you and then feeding that to characters in order to pair them up for the yeah. for the uh, yeah there no are, that's smart there's like 80 endings isn't there or something like that yeah uh, yeah there like are a lot of like, micro endings right yeah but yeah. every yeah every time you beat the game uh you get multiple like each character will get an ending and sometimes they'll be paired yeah. so yeah. so it's it's not like there's 80 endings with 80 playthroughs you'll you'll yes. get you'll get between four and eight endings per playthrough but yeah. but yes there's a bunch yeah it's crazy but yeah, yeah i'm digging it it's i can definitely see why it's the best um i'm excited to carry on with it and see yeah. where it evolves because obviously i've got these 10 wise men who are totally not religious and renamed for this version because god why would you want to like upset the fire or anything but yeah <laughs> i'm and i'm enjoying it it's good uh it's just weird um to know that it's not got any better since <laughs> it is kind of a shame yeah 
Well, Solosi's also been playing his own classic PS1 RPG that ends in a 2, which is Lunar 2, right? Yes. Um, since Stare, the, uh, the best character in the game. Actually, uh, no, Gene is the best character in the game. I well, I have a lot of time for Gene, uh, Ron Far, and uh, Mister, who's totally not the same as Leo. Absolutely not at all. Yeah. Uh, and but I also, you know, enjoy Masked Heroes of Justice quite a bit. So maybe that you do. You know, no. Yeah. Tell me about this Rolex watch, uh, Super Sentai show. Oh. <laughs> no, it's a um, Common Rider Zio, which oh, starts okay. in a couple months. It has some kind of time gimmick, so the main character looks like a Rolex. It's real weird. Uh, a, a pink and Are silver. Using the name Zio again, I guess that's different from Zo, huh? No, it's, it's different from Zo. Yes. Okay. It is wow. being uh, romanized Z I O H. Ah, I see. Okay. So it's not it's not Power Rangers Zio or Common Rider Zo. But anyway, uh, we, enough about Tokusatsu Heroes. Uh, uh, <laughs> Never enough. Yeah, <laughs> accurate. But um, RPG Fan is uh, celebrating its 20th anniversary this year, and so every month there's been some kind of retrospective or some kind of special feature. And so for the month of June, I'm sorry, the month of July, uh, we have been <coughs> doing four Retro Encounter episodes about Lunar and Lunar 2. So I've been playing those two PS1 RPGs, or I should say Sega CD RPGs that I'm playing PS1 ports of uh, since June, and right now I'm near the end of Lunar 2, so uh, and I think at the time of this recording um, the first Lunar 1 episode is up but there's three more to come uh, throughout June, and I'm sorry, throughout July I can't I, I can't get my months right I am such a mess, I'm so <laughs> sorry so yeah, four Lunar episodes, I'm in the middle of playing Lunar 2 right now, and I feel like from a story and character perspective it holds up, and I am mostly delighted by this replay yeah that's one i somehow missed out on lunar 2 back when it came out i was obsessed with lunar 1 and i mean as you know i sang i sang the boat song with both steph at e3 and then caitlin most recently when i was in st louis which was very <laughs> the boat song is excellent and yes. when i learned and when i learned from rob fenner at the first uh recording we did that it isn't in any other version of the game i was mad what <laughs> It's only oh, like in, in the, the PS1 CD. version. Yeah, yeah well, it, uh, it's, it's no, not the in the Sega CD. The song's in the PSP remake as Oh, well. it is? Oh, yeah. It is, but they re-recorded the, lyri- the, the yeah, vocals and the lyrics are different, too. Yeah. But Whatever. it was not Not my boat song. Because in like, the Sega CD version, Luna does not stay in your party. She like, leaves right. when the boat departs. Yeah. So. I was shocked to learn that because the doc scene and the boat song feel crucial to me. Yeah, it's like iconic at this point for Lunar. Yeah, and, uh, and I mean, uh, playing through Lunar 1 was uh, fun. I think I like Lunar 2 a little bit more because uh, I, I, I just the characters are more interesting mechanically. Because like in Lunar 1, like Kyle only has four skills. And in Lunar 2, there's more customization, more uh, your party can sort of do more things. I think the challenge level is a little higher in Lunar 2, which is not always for the better. But the uh, I, I'm ha- I, I played both of these games about 13 or 14 years ago. Uh, got, I got into them a little bit late, and I hadn't even heard of them except through uh, online forums, like uh, uh, the place I used to go before RPG Fan, as well as places uh, like RPG Fan. But uh, they're, they're both excellent old school rpgs and i am near done with lunar 2 and uh my personal goal right now is to finish lunar 2 and east 8 before octopath traveler comes out and uh i would say good luck but like it's you so i fully believe that you will do that (laughs) 
I probably can. Like when when I get laser focused into an RPG, I can sort of turn into it's, a monster, and it just they just get beaten. It's in. not even laser focused. It's like you make your own dark hour at between the hours of midnight <laughs> and one. Be there for like twelve hours, and then you come out the next day, and you're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, Lunar Two, I beat that in two days." And I'm like, "It, the game's thirty. Like, how did you? Yeah, you always somehow manage." It doesn't. It, I'm not always like that, but when, but sometimes for certain games that will happen, and I am, I cannot say why it or how it happens. It's it's an impressive feat, is all I'm saying, and pa- like scary, powerful, and arcane in ways I don't understand, but that you can do it. Are you going to talk about that on Retro Encounter as well? Uh, about about my my weird uh, ability to play games in a no, crunch, in, in crunch about time. About Lunar Two, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, it's two episodes on Lunar One and two episodes on Lunar Two that are forthcoming. And uh, the Lunar Two episodes have a a bunch of uh, jokers on them. It's me, Rob Fenner, Leona McCallum, Chris mm-hmm. Gebauer, and Scott Clay. And uh, so it's a it's a big Lunar celebration. What a bunch of jokers! Jokers. <laughs> I didn't even try to do the accent because I knew what, I'd embarrass myself. What time is it? It's Ryan time, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, Check those, this out. Yeah, those of you who want to hear more about Lunar uh, 1 and 2 can look forward to the Retro Encounter episodes that are upcoming. And then I, I just want to close out today's episode with the, like, in terms of the big games we're delving into. Robert Fenner always has a knack for finding the weirdest stuff. And God bless him. I love that about him. So... <laughs> Today, Robert Federer is here to talk to us about a little game called The Friends of Ringo Ishikawa. It is on Steam. Apparently, it just released within the last month or two. And uh, it involves bonchos, squatting, and generally causing a ruckus. So tell me more about this game. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always bringing my weird small games uh, to the podcast. Uh, it was, I think it was Diaries of a Spaceport Janitor last time. Yep. Uh, as you know, the uh, Steam sale uh, just ended, and I um, made it a mission to spend too much money on weird little things that would just had, had just either been like lurking on my wish list for over a year or uh, just popped up and caught my interest. And one game that was recommended to me by the Steam client was Friends of Fringo Ishikawa, uh, which is, boy, it's it's trading on the aesthetics of the Kuniyo-kun games, like River City Ransom, but um, it's got this, like, lo-fi hip-hop aesthetic. Like, you know, there's kind of, there's videos that people make on YouTube of, like, a pixel scene of Japan with, like, some laid back uh hip-hop beats played over it and this is like a whole game of that it's so it, it's so it takes like of of a an engine that is very much inspired by river city ransom but it's a slow life game a bit like my summer vacation or attack of the friday monsters oh, where that sells me right there but go yeah on. Ringo Ishikawa is this this gang leader, this Bancho, uh, and he's experiencing his last year of uh, school. Uh, so, like, he's you know, him and his friends are going around and beating up other gang members from other schools. But like, in between, he's attending class and studying and hanging out with his friends and like talking about you know, like they have like these quite like quite deep existential conversations about how like, well, you know, we're just whiling the days away beating people up outside the school but like school's gonna be over soon and then and then what (laughs) who are we without this identity um so i've been having 
I've only played a couple of hours so far, but I've been, it's really, it's really resonated with me. This sort of like this um, interplay between like the violence and then just the hanging out quiet moments and pondering, pondering oneself. Um, it reminds me a lot of the Taiyo Matsumoto comic Blue Spring, which was basically kind of touched on similar territory. Um, I'm wondering if this is inspired by that. But um, yeah, I'm pretty happy to just like wander around and catch up with people and see, you know, see my friends failing relationships. There's a smoke button. Um, but when, you're indoor, when you're indoors, you're respectful and you the smoke button makes you flip a coin. <laughs> okay. Yeah. When you when you uh, told us about this game before we started recording, I went and watched the trailer, and the sprite work is so delightful. There's uh, the main character has um, sprite poses where he leans forward on his desk and then board like has a board look outside the window and hangs over a railing and uh, and takes a drag on a cigarette and just like yeah. moments moments like that that shown in what looks like could be a you know maybe a late super nintendo game whatever is i i love the look of it i absolutely love the look of the combat and the sprite work and just this game i may have to get it soon i don't know it's like it's it's what i wanted that super famicom um kunio kun rpg to be um and it just that game really well, wasn't i that. mean yeah the like kunio kun games that. are the kunio kun games are never like reflective <laughs> Or, uh, or, and that's fine. They don't have to be. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, this strikes a balance between sort of arcadey combat with, uh, w with a, a bit of a you know more relaxed uh, headspace in between those combat phases, and that, that I, I find fascinating. I'm I've wa I'm watching the trailer over and over on silent right now, and I just hmm. I'm so interested in this. It's like you attend class every day, a bit like a persona. I'm mean, well or and not go to class but like you'll go to class and you can you know depending on each button does something different like you can sit and pay attention and um take notes or you can you know press a button to look out the window like you said or put your head down on the desk and just look like you don't understand anything and you're quite sad um or you know lean back and stretch and it's it's got a lot of character for uh for for what it is which and what it is is something like bizarre and uh yeah, lo-fi and like weirdly like you said really introspective sounding so there's not a whole lot like it out there so and i'm i'm a big fan of all those slow life games and seeing something that uses the aesthetics of kunio which i really love anyway with mm -hmm. um this let's just take it day by day and take it slow um it's it's really resonating it's with me criminal that we've never gotten a boku no natsu yasumi game uh released i know right Japan, as far I as play i play them so bad yeah. It reminds me of a like a um a juvenile delinquents manga like Crows or Clover, and and I really have time for those, so I'm 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 interested in this. You should <laughs> check out Blue Spring, Mike. It's really good. I probably should. <laughs> well, I've I've added that as well to my Steam wish list today. So between that and Vampire, I'll probably be dropping a, a number of dollars here in the next couple of weeks. I I wish I would have known before the Steam sale was over, but. Alas, I mean, it was only it was only like a pound off, but or like a dollar oh, okay. fifty off. But I was like, hey, this looks great. I want this. Yeah, so it's it it disappointing. Cool. There's a there was some other pixel art game that I saw announced uh, really recently that I was going to bring up, but uh, it's eluding me. So we're not going to talk about it. 
Um, well, I think we're getting close to the end of the show for today. I did want to bring up a couple of quick news bites just to close us out. One of those is that the upcoming HD remasters of Shenmue 1 and 2 have a release date. They're going to be out on August 21st, and that's for both PC and PS4 and Xbox? No? Uh, my Sailor Dreams. I'm coming He's home to roost. Adding to the Falmageddon <laughs> of games coming out. Yeah, August. Because there's not enough coming out in August. Um, yeah, it, it is coming to Xbox as well. Okay, yeah. thank you. I'm very curious to see how well those hold up because I feel like Shenmue 1 especially very much pioneered the open world game in, in a way that no other game had up to that point. And it was... Not ready for I'm it. looking for some sailors. Right, so am I. I played it recently, and um, they're going to have to make some changes to that control scheme. But that game <laughs> is a weird curiosity that I'm I'm down to play it again. Yeah, it, it was always like, you know, when I was younger, especially, I mean, I still feel this way. Um, I unabashedly love uh, Japan culturally. I mean, like, obviously, it's not a utopia. But when I was visiting Japan, I just felt like this magical sense of wonder constantly. And I know that a lot of people kind of idealize Japan in that way. But it really does feel like a special place in a lot of ways. And I was always searching for ways to kind of immerse myself in Japan wherever I could. Like um, uh, games like Persona 3 and 4 especially really nailed that vibe of being present in like a little slice of Japan. And I think that Shenmue was the first game I ever played to give me that feeling, um, whether it was just getting capsule toys out of machines or like going into the arcade or whatever. And Yakuza. Say. Yes. And Yakuza has gone on to replicate that in a lot of ways and kind of fill that niche. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how Shenmue holds up in like a post Yakuza era, but Shenmue has always felt like Yakuza is extremely quirky, but Shenmue is its own kind of quirky. It's hard to explain, but, um, and I never beat Shenmue too. I was quite a bit more earnest than Yakuza. I think Yakuza has embraced the weirdness. Yeah. Whereas Yu Suzuki's weirdness is just on display, but he really means it. Yeah. So there's, there's a urinal mini game in Yakuza Kiwami 2 that I tried at E3. Hell yeah. You just like Sega actually made one of those. <laughs> oh yeah, I heard about that. You just gotta like be in the target or something. Yes, it's called it's called Toilets, T-O-Y-L-E-T-S. And uh, Wow. <laughs> and then that game comes out pretty soon too. The, the uh, English August. Yeah. It, uh, dual audio and comes out in August twenty eighth. Yeah. Uh, a week after Shenmue. All right. <laughs> cool. Well, that's upcoming. And then I wanted to draw attention to a fun little article that ran on the site about a week ago. Um, we had some write-ups of every RPG-related character coming to Super Smash Bros. Ultimate when that releases later this year. And I thought that was a really fun look at um, like each person and, and not just where they came from, but why they're interesting or funny additions to the Smash Bros. roster. Like, if anything, I think it kind of stood as an excuse for us to <laughs> gush about Smash Brothers Ultimate because it's not something that's within our coverage normally. So um, I would highly recommend going to the main page of RPG Fan and checking that out. I don't know. Here I am. I'm look, trying to see if we have it under our uh, features or anything like that because I didn't actually research that ahead of time. Uh, no, it's just, just like a news. Yeah. We do yeah. have a gallery now, I think, though, for it, just to show off those lovely mm-hmm. Nintendo Switch versions of... Ness and Lucas in particular. <laughs> great, yeah. And they've got Kumator and Boney and his final smith. Yeah, yeah I love so it. So um, you can go check that out. It's going to just be an article. And it, it's it's called A Look at Super Smash Brothers Ultimate's RPG Character Roster. 
Um, check that out. And while you're at it, you can look at our final complete coverage hub for E3 2018. And that includes all of our uh, various awards, both site-wide and our individual editor awards. You can find that by going to the Features uh, tab up at the top of the RPG Fan main page and clicking on that pretty little E3 2018 complete coverage purple button. So I would advise checking that out. And, and I think there's uh, the number of games covered in that complete coverage article is between 50 and 60. So it's, it, there's a lot of reading material in there. Yeah, there's a lot there. So uh, check that out if you're still hungry for E3 stuff or if there's anything that you may have missed, you can catch all of that there. And then I finally wanted to end by posing a question to you, the listeners. Um, since I took over this podcast, I have been trying to interject uh, or, or inject a little bit of musical DNA into it. And I've, I've done that by adjusting. I've kind of played with the audio volume. But what I've been doing is trying to play related music for whatever game we're discussing kind of underneath the dialogue. And I did that because I didn't want to interrupt the flow of conversation and just have, have like a little bit of ambient music in the background. I've heard, I've gotten some pretty wildly varying feedback on that. Some people have said they love it. Some people have said they absolutely hate it and they don't want to hear any music because it distracts them from the talking. Um, I kind of like it, but I, you know, I'm not going to do something that the people listening to this show don't want to hear. So another option I was considering um, on another podcast that I run, the Final Fantasy XIV one, Astral Era, I like to play music as sort of ways to demarcate sections of the podcast. So I could do something where, say, like we start to talk about a game and I play like an, an interlude almost in between the discussion that's only the music and nothing else. Doing that, however, would extend the length of the podcast pretty significantly because I would have like a song for every game that's being discussed. Or I could, you know, I could sort of judiciously not do that for every game. Um, that being said, I just wanted to get your opinion, listeners. Um, if you like the music that I've been adding, um, let me know if you would prefer it to be underneath dialogue, if you would like it to be interludes in between discussions, or if you don't want it at all, because if everybody doesn't want it, then I guess I would get rid of it. Um, you can send me feedback, podcast at rpgfan.com, or you can tweet at me either to the RPG Fan account, which is at RPG Fancom on Twitter, or at me directly, Embryonx, that's at E-M-B-R-Y-O-N-X. And uh, I just want to, I want your feedback in general. So if you would do me a solid and let me know about that, when you're sending us your questions, comments, and spare potions, you can do that at the aforementioned email address, or you can follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page, which is at facebook.com slash rpgfancom. Um, finally, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or through the RSS feed. Please leave us a review on iTunes. I don't think anybody has since I've taken over. Um, I have gotten a, a decent amount of listener feedback through email, so thank you so much for that. Please keep it coming. Um, I will do my best to continue to address if you guys have specific questions for us to discuss on the show, but it's kind of hard to get really in-depth with, like, if you ask me, like, a three-paragraph-long question, <laughs> it's going to be a little difficult for me to tackle, especially when there's, like, five voices to jump in. So um, that being said, thank you so much for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. So for Alana, Caitlin, Fenner, and Solosi and myself, we appreciate you tuning in, and we will see you all later.